welcome to episode 30 of the All Music Is Good podcast, the podcast that takes a deep dive into four recent releases. We get right in there to try and work out what's great and sometimes not so great about each one. This week we're checking out albums from Yeba, Jordan Rakai, Greta Ray and Emma Jean Thackeray. It's an auspicious day in our part of the world at the bottom of the Southern Hemisphere as we're taping tonight's episode on the first day of Daylight Savings and no matter how shit things are or how crap the weather is, that little bit of extra sunshine at the end of the day automatically makes you start thinking about summer barbecues, the beach, beer gardens, maybe test cricket and all those things that we associate with warm weather and balmy evenings. As we try and put things like long Melbourne winters and 74-point AFL grand final drubbings into that locked recess of our brain and never think of them again. And as you know, Arik, I've always been one of those people to look forward and never back. It's not, it's one not look to the past. I've always thought that referring to past history is overrated. So let's look to the future and not dwell on what happened last Saturday night. Let's not dwell on your band from Tammy's Breck House because you insisted that they take cards and not cash. Let's look towards the future and to a new wave of Breck Houses in the Greater Kerbeg area and that, you know, that take both card and cash. And let's look forward to a great episode tonight because at least one in every three episodes, ladies and gentlemen, my co-host catches fire. So according to my maths, he's well and truly overdue. So it's on that note, I say hello to my podcasting partner in crime, Arik Bloom. Arik, welcome. Thank you, Waza. Thank you for a wonderful intro. Um, and yes, commiserations about the big loss last Saturday. I was, yes, you not know, talking about it. I was, I was, uh, I was feeling for you, but I also really did enjoy um, cutting and pasting the text message you wrote to me when the doggies beat the bombers, and mm-hmm. it was one of those things. It's funny how like you can kind it's of not quite like, the same though, really, is it? Oh, uh, it really was though, and no. um, it's just really nice where you know someone does something to someone, and um, <laughs> and then they don't think it's an innocuous thing, and that person holds this like really deep grudge for like four to five weeks, and just just yes. pining for the moment that they're going to get their revenge. And um, I don't know about you, I don't know how it landed. I, don't, I probably didn't affect you, but man, I was. I was waking up every morning with a big grin on my face after that text message. Um, yeah, I really great. did enjoy that. That was really fun. Um, I, but I am feeling good. Um, speaking of uh, card not cash, I I went. I just had my. Uh, I went to my local fish and chip shop just down the road, and mm-hmm. they have like they're not even like we prefer cash. They're like one hundred percent. You need to go get cash, and. Um, <laughs> And like I've got sixty five dollars in my bank account, right? Yeah. Right now, and um, and oh, what and did you get? So, like, no, two burgers with the lot, no, 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 and some chips no, and some you know some barramundi. That would take you way over. No, that would get you close to sixty five dollars. <laughs> Look, I didn't even but know. You can only get what happens if it only like lets you get out fifty dollar notes instead <laughs> so, of twenty. Like you'd be in trouble. Exactly that happened, right? Yeah. So I go to the ATM and yeah. and it's like a Combank ATM and. Um, you know that they, they like I, I start punching my my stuff in and it says oh it's touch screen only and I'm like oh, and then I start like fucking with the touch screen it's just not working out and then I finally mm. get it like to this like almost like you know dial up into internet speed version of the ATM which is when I'm pressing the buttons on the side and I put it in for my twenty bucks because I'm like there's no way this fish and chips is going to cost more than twenty bucks mm. and lo and behold. Um, it's, they don't have 20s, I've got to take out a 50. So I took out a 50, so I've now got $15 in my bank account and <laughs> uh, and I know yeah. there is direct debits coming like 
tomorrow. So I go and go get my fish and chips and it was, I think, 16 bucks. And then the next thing I need to do is go and find an ATM to deposit my change to make sure that I what? get to my direct yeah. deposit limit. And unfortunately... I um I bank with a really niche bank called well I won't talk I won't I won't name them because uh, I don't want to upset you know their marketing person. This is a really long story. Is a good point. <clears throat> long story short is I'm gonna have to wake up tomorrow morning before like open for business and drive mm. like 15 kilometers and deposit into an ATM <laughs> might change. I think this explains why I've paid for Squadcast the last two years. Why is that? Yeah, no, it a hundred percent does. You just, in the bank, you just yeah. do not know what card not. What cash or not card um, racket I'm I'm going to get suckered into at any moment? Um, so yeah, look, that's been good. Um, I second your 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 kind of optimism around the daylight savings. It always reminds me of the Australian Open for some reason. I just always yeah, think right. about tennis. Cricket. Yeah. Um, so you look, that's been a bonus, and I, I like how you always pull up, you know, the, the the positives in life, which is really really nice. <laughs> well, I'm in full denial this week. You don't are worry. you are in full denial. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think what else I can tell you that's kind of, you know, going to be of interest to our, uh, you know, massive audience. Mm. Um, no, a bit of online shopping, that's been good. You know, it's not as, it's not as like... Deep. I've got my music business money this week um, for Miss Gigs. So, yeah, I did a bit of online shopping oh, as well. Oh, that's good. That was quite good. I've been doing a lot of Bunnings Click and Collect and that's that's really exciting. I like when oh, you... Oh, do you want you want a, like a hack, a Bunnings hack? I, I found a, a guy around the corner who's a tradie and he lent me his card so I could go to Bunnings. Oh, that is good. It's, it's so good because there's no one in there. You flash your card when you walk through, your WorkSafe card and... We're in. I shouldn't be really talking about that. Hey, um, you know something that came up last week when you we were talking about the Leanne La Harvest album, yep, and how we said that it wasn't nominated for a Mercury Prize, and I thought it must have been last year. It wasn't last year either. Was, can you believe that album didn't get nominated? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think what, what was it up against last year. There was some good stuff. No, last no, year. it was this year. It should have been up this year. Oh, and it didn't get it a, came out last it didn't year. Didn't get a nom. Yeah. Big, big That's shame. So but it is one of those albums because I think it came out what mid last year or like yeah, I think it was mid, March, March. Or... Like, yeah, sometimes those albums that have had such a long like life cycle, yeah, yeah. they just got kind of get slept on come awards season. Yeah, um, I just you know, Arlo Parks it was cool, and you know, obviously the Laura Mavula and Salt and Jungle, but like the that Leon the Harvest album, there were so many good songs on that. It was so beautiful. I just I was really shocked. It was actually. Um. Look, apart from that, a, a bit of running was. You'd be very proud. I'm, um, oh, I I, uh, I clocked my, my my longest distance this week. What was it? It was 6.4, but I'm ramping up. <laughs> Shut your mouth. I'm ramping up. And, um, yeah, so there's a plan. There's a plan in place. I'm going to bump up by 500 metres every week. Okay. I, th- I reckon just go straight all out because I'm four weeks back after my calf. I did a 12K on last Monday night. Oh, here we go. And the splits, no, there's, there's nothing about here we go. It's just the, the splits were good. You're like, just aim high and just, you know, just go for it, I think. Just, just I think next week, just go for the 10K. Just go for the 10, okay. Just I'll, go for I'll, it. I'll give it a go. So what, what about you, Was What's been happening? There's nothing, dude. It's just been a shit of a week. Okay. Um, <laughs> speaking of positives, <laughs> uh, got me this week. So I'm just looking forward. I've been looking forward to tonight, looking forward to talking and looking forward to introducing tonight's guest, so I might do that, Arik. Go ahead. All right, Arik, tonight's guest is a complete force of nature on the Melbourne music scene. She's a vocalist, DJ, songwriter, broadcaster, producer. 
She's released two solo albums on her own label. She's a broadcaster. I think she was, was she, were you music director at PBS FM? I think she might have been. Yes, yes, she was. She's been artistic director at Stonington Jazz Festival. She's what her bio says. She serves as a panel expert on Australian music at the Lincoln Centre in New York. She's the creator and producer of Women of Soul Collective. I think she's still currently the deputy chair and sits on the board of Music Victoria. And if that wasn't enough, she's recently started her own podcast called Control in direct competition to our own podcast, Eric. Oof. And she's here tonight to review some albums <laughs> and to hopefully give us some tips on how professional podcasts should be run. Can I extend a warm, all music is good welcome to the lovely Chelsea Wilson. Chelsea, welcome. Welcome, Chelsea. Thank you so much. And I'd like to start off by saying happy birthday to you. Congratulations on episode 30. I feel like you've moved Ooh. into adulthood. We have. Well, yeah, we, we did right? celebrate our 21st one, didn't we? We did. Uh, ce- we did we, we, yeah, we, we celebrated our, our 21st <laughs> by, we, um, basically, we went to, we, yeah, we, we broadcast from a club in the US, um, which is pretty exciting. <laughs> uh, but yeah. You know, 30s are different, 30s are different feel, you know. Yeah. You've I mean, come people, into your own, you've got confidence, right. moving into the more mature decade. Much so well more, done. That's right. Yeah, much well, you're more still confident. trying to hold on to your youth audience, I think, at uh, 30. So we're that's really true. crossing into that sort of territory where we're trying to bring across, you know, our, our, our followers into that sort of more adult contemporary demographic. <laughs> you'll, definitely, but, uh, um, you'll definitely hear a lot of kind of like young person lingo as the, <laughs> as the, as the flames just flickers in the wind um, on the expressway towards geriatricism. Um, yeah. Chelsea, so, you know, in, in true podcast spirit, in essence, all podcasts, you know, this is like, just like all albums, it's all, it's all about guest appearances these days. And, um, I think, you know, we've, we've seen, um, I've just seen, uh, what is it? Sam Harris is doing this podcast with Ricky Gervais and Ricky Gervais got a podcast and everyone's inviting each other onto their own podcasts. Tell us a little bit about your podcast. What's, uh, what, what's, uh, what's the, the, the main, um, focus of that? Well, I'd love to chat about it, of course. Um, It's a new podcast. It's called Control. And it's a podcast about women working in the music industry. So I interview a range of guests, all female identifying, from a range of different roles within the music industry. So record producers to CEOs to artist managers to artists talking about their creative practice. So it's quite careers focused. Um, It's really fun. And I started doing this during lockdown last year. It's something I've wanted to make for quite a few years, actually. But last year, with lockdown, it just seemed like the right time. So it's not a COVID-focused podcast, but naturally, given the situation we're in, it feeds into some of the conversations. Did you did you get an opportunity in that little bracket of time to do some in-person um, episodes, or did it? I am shaking my head. No, sadly, sadly, no. Um, But, you know, in some ways I think it's good doing it online. Um, There's a lot of... Well, from an editing point of view, as we said before, the editing's so much easier. Yeah, the editing's great. Yeah, Yeah. the editing's great. And I found that people were available because they were at home and I could slot them in for, you know, can you fit in for an hour in between meetings and things like that so it's much more flexible to work in with different people's lives and routines. So there's some pros and cons. But, yeah, it's been a great experience and I'm really loving doing it and it's really uncovering and unpacking a lot of themes that come up regardless of the guests. You know, so far I've interviewed 
people from just such a huge variety of backgrounds and experiences and spanning five decades. Um, I interviewed Claire Spencer, the CEO of Art Centre Melbourne, and also R&B artist Hando. Um, I also interviewed Kath Harrity, the CEO of Australian Music Centre, record producer Anna Laverty, and their experiences of music are so varied. But a lot of themes come up around valuing music and the importance of valuing Australian music in particular and placing Mm. worth on ourselves and the music that we make and what they'd like to see change in the industry. And confidence has come up quite a lot as well. And burnout, things like burnout and the fact that in the music industry, and this is regardless of gender, you sort of feel like you have to keep going and putting things out all the time. And if you don't, you become irrelevant. So we're we're quite, we don't give ourselves breaks. It's one project, then the next project, then the next project. And you sort of can't get off the hamster wheel or you feel like you've, you know, you've completely lost all the work that you've just done. Um, and it can be so stressful. And I think this lockdown situation has forced creatives to have to put a break on things. And I think it's made people really reflect and feel like, am I still an artist anymore? You know, if it's that, if the tree falls down in the forest and no one's there, did it make a sound? It's like that. Am I still a musician anymore? All of those things. And I think one of the albums we're going to talk about later gives me a bit of that that vibe too. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, some really interesting conversations in a really unusual time. In in the, um, like, just talking about the concept of burnout and... I guess, you know, and and hearing about sort of like the central themes of your podcast, which, you know, for one cannot be not one cannot not be deeply passionate about those kinds of change pieces that need to kind of happen. And I I, um, I saw something come up a couple of weeks ago. There was a new there was a like a, a handle that that came up specifically speaking to, um, I guess, uh, women of older age brackets or just normal mm. age brackets but not under 25 age brackets mm. that sort of launched. And um, and I guess I guess where I'm going on the question is like in, in holding space for those conversations, are you also cognizant of like the, the fact that it, like these topics as well like are also pieces that, that – that one can't just be kind of passive about and and thus there's like making music, there's trying to there's changing the industry, there's doing all these things that have been happening during COVID. Um, like the burnout kind of this all of the layers of, of things that can contribute to burnout are now almost even more highly magnified. Has that been something that you've sort of noticed? Yeah, absolutely. I mean I think the pressures on artists in this current era are probably even more loaded than ever before with the expectation around social media and creating this brand. It's very hard to sort of be an artist that's mysterious anymore. You're expected to be a political advocate. You're expected to have fully realised and fully formed opinions on almost every single topic so that you could be drawn upon as a role model at any possible moment. You're supposed to be a spokesperson for whatever gender or however you you identify, whether you feel comfortable about talking about that or not. You're expected to be able to Mm. at any given moment and be constantly on your phone and also look amazing. I mean, Mm. the pressure is... (laughs) And we're also in an industry with less support than ever before because especially in Australia, we know we have a lack of artist managers. And one of the biggest things I see is a lot of independent artists who 
really don't have strategic thinking, don't have any support, and they're very vulnerable to getting really manipulated or, you know, ripped off almost more than ever before because there's mm. a lack of managers that sort of can look after people and that's because artists are making less money than almost ever before yeah. in so many ways and that's 20% right. of nothing is nothing so yeah, I'm yeah. not surprised there's not an abundance of artist managers around I mean so what I would like to see is a shift in how some of that government funding is operated yep. is there yeah. a level of support available to pay people to do artist management services and things like that because you can fund a whole lot of albums to go and get recorded but if those artists aren't able to fully promote those albums or don't know what to do with them we end up Mm. with thousands of records or thousands of cds in somebody's storage closet or under their bed that nobody ever hears it's very hard for an artist to do all of those roles and so they sort of there's this myth around, oh, the music industry is so much better for artists now than ever before because of the internet and yeah. because of democratization. But actually we've found ourselves in a space where there's this abundance of recorded music and it's harder to cut through than ever before. But yeah. you're sort of shamed and guilted as an artist that, oh, but you should have been able to do this because didn't you know that Justin Bieber got famous just off YouTube? So how come yeah. your YouTube clips aren't working? You know, it's just... It's a very layered and very complicated industry and I think all we can do as artists is really try and create our own support networks and our own communities and just constantly try and manage our own expectations around what success is to us and keep our art close and our friends close and try and still enjoy making the art for the art's sake. Mm. Whoa. It's true. Yeah, <laughs> it's all true. I mean, I, like, um, it's um, the you know the I think it's a re- the really good point is yeah we uh, there's you you're expected to do so much now in a s- diminishing return of money and what was the stat we were looking at a few months ago Eric when it was like I think one percent ninety ninety eight percent of all Spotify money go to one percent of the artists less than one oh, yeah. percent of the artists on there it's just it's obscene it's obscene it is and it's, it's in, kind of it weird. It's kind of weird that we're now we're sort of expecting governments to sort of, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, advocate on our behalf. It's sort of the the everything's changing. The music's flipped. The industry's flipped, and it's sort of. I think you know, COVID. What it's done is it's made us you know have to stop and reassess all this stuff. And you know, mm. I mean, the model was broken. Yes, um, it was. But <laughs> you know, now it's just I making think. us acknowledge it and say, look, how do we? You know, we can't go forward like we're going forward because people can't survive and live. So yeah, how do we do that? And what are the building blocks we put in place? God, massive conversations. I think I'm- it's been a real. Um, you know, in the 70s, the record industry, by which I mean purchasing of recorded music, was a huge major industry, like up there with oil. You know, it was mm. huge. And people didn't need to tour. The reliance on live shows wasn't there. You know, people didn't tour if they didn't want to. And you had artists even in the 80s, like Enya, never did a live show ever, mm. made mm. millions of dollars because of the records. Same with Kate Bush, didn't like touring. And then we had an industry that wasn't very forward thinking and even with the opportunities to take on things like Napster who had meetings with all of the major labels, they weren't interested in taking on Napster and they didn't believe in download or streaming technology because they were so, I think, just 
so steadfast in the belief that CDs would not go away because around that time, Britney Spears, NSYNC, they were selling incredible, incredible yeah. amounts Amount. of yeah. physical stock and they just really didn't believe that streaming was going to happen. They weren't forward thinking and then bang, it just changed so quickly and we've become so reliant as an industry on live performance as our main tour, as our main income now. And mm. so this pandemic happens and, pff, we, you know, there is no income stream. So mm. very challenging. And the other interesting thing I also find is, you know, and uh, even through doing this podcast where we, we're actually talking about like albums where you kind of press, st- like you press start and you listen to an, to 12 tracks by an artist. Yeah. Um, and so and what, was, was it's probably going to laugh at me for this, for saying this, but like um, <clears throat> since, since, since starting this podcast, I've – either put out or been involved in music that has come out like probably as many times as this podcast has gone. And but So it might be just because my work is shit or it just might be <laughs> because people just get down with stuff differently. But I have found more people interested in listening to me talk about music than <laughs> actually listening to the music. And... And I feel as though thinking about just the way we consume content these days, like ha- like you, when deep, you listen though. to a podcast, it, it may, there's like a more of an active listening exercise that takes place. Like you're kind of forced mm-hmm. to kind of concentrate. But because music has been, become so broadly available, how, how many people are sitting down and going, I'm going to now listen to some music? Yeah. It's, it's, it's everything. It's all about background. And um, whereas like... I speak to friends and they'll say, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, I listened to this great podcast this uh, this morning. But no one says, oh, man, I listened to this great album this morning. And yeah, it's, it's, like, like listening to an album these days is sort of like starting War and Peace. Like it's just like, <laughs> yeah, oh, I yeah. might do it. It's like Dostoevsky, exactly. It's just like, yeah, anyways, I don't know. I find that really, really interesting that like the world has gone so fucking inside out, back to front that, um, stuff about stuff about stuff is sometimes more valuable than the stuff. I just find I think that really Eric also that um you know I think we've touched on it before as well that you know because music is so more accessible, more people think that they can do music and that there's they can monetize it. And as we've talked about, you know we've got all these music schools, especially in the city that we live in. Whereas mm. once upon a time there's one music school producing mm-hmm. you know ten or twenty musicians a mm-hmm. year, and now there's like ten of them producing. <laughs> 300 of them yep. and there's actually less work and there's less, and work. less money. So, so bizarre. I, anyway. Yeah, I think, Eric, your point around people wanting to listen to you talk about music, I think one thing that has only gotten stronger is that role of a tastemaker or maybe you can call it influencer. Yeah. You know, that's almost more important than ever because people don't have the time or ability to wade through the amount of content and they just want someone to give them the cliff notes. What yeah. should I listen to now? Decipher yep. all the crap, you know. And that's why radio is still such a strong and important medium as well because totally. it's the most intimate type of relationship that audiences can have. You know, when people listen to the radio, they feel like they're, they feel like they're friends with the broadcaster and they, they mm. know them. That's true. And they're listening. People usually listen to the radio or podcast when they're by themselves. You know, they might be gardening, walking by themselves, cooking. So it's a very direct, it's like a conversation with a friend. Mm, so it's yeah. very, it's very intimate. It's very personal. And those kind of recommendations from a podcast, you know, they probably do go and listen to all the albums. So this is such a great 
show format and such a great concept. And there's hard, there's not many opportunities to really dig into records in this way. So it's great. Oh, thanks, Chelsea. Well, uh, that's, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that My wasn't exploding. You've thrown, you've thrown, was it? No one's ever said something so nice to us. <laughs> I'm just thinking how I can put Tastemaker into my bio. Oh, now you somehow. totally can. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah. don't you think it's really fascinating how consumer habits have changed so much and we've almost gone back to a singles culture like the 1950s? in a lot of ways with dropping mm. singles, dropping singles yeah, yeah, has yeah, dominated. Yeah. But musicians still very much want to make albums. We're very obsessed yes. with albums, it's even weird, if fans it? aren't. Yeah, <laughs> and, but and, even, and he, even to that, sorry, Waza, I, I'm okay. bit, I'm, I know I'm talking over you a lot today, Waza, so just tell me to shut up. All right, you're on fire. Go for it. Okay, you're thank due. you, thank you. Um, so here's a really interesting thing, Chelsea. Um, so like that culture of like 100% agree, like the you know that the singles – so everyone says, just do a single, then do a this, then do a that, right? And I was watching the Motown. There's a, there was a Motown thing on ABC uh, iView recently mm. called Hitsville. Awesome. Like, you know, to the point that, um, what was it? Grapevine was in the market. Like Gladys's version of Grapevine and Marvin's version of Grapevine were in the charts at the same time. Like, insane. Um, and, you know, that, that kind of concept of the single... And but then you but who is setting the like who is getting in people's heads that they need to make an EP or they need to make an album because like when I work with young with you know early career artists they often they often like they've always got EP in their brain so they go I'm going to do a couple of tracks I'm going to do two tracks and then my EP is going to come out um, and and I mean that as a format in and of itself is such a bizarre product mm. like like an EP worked when you went on tour and sold CDs and you could make 10 bucks every time you sold an EP. But now in a streaming environment, like what is the value of packaging five songs in a body of work format where it's, yeah. it's just going to be streamed on Spotify anyway. And then, sorry, I'm going to add one more thing. And then you've got your eight track album, which is also just confusing the hell the out of me. The mini album. Or is the it mini- a maxi EP? Uh, or a maxi there, EP. There's no rules anymore. Right? There's, there's no, no rules. Maxi there's single? No, it's a maxi single. Yeah. It's like a yeah. maxi taxi. <laughs> And um, but but th- but then to that when you do this when you do come across an album that is that actual body of work, it 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 really shakes you. But then what we've sort of found when we think about albums is that um, like you know like a concept album makes sense as a piece of work that's an album. Mm. Uh, but then there's sometimes just like twelve great songs that fit really well together, and that's a really good album. Yeah. So everything's very, very confusing. But yeah, well, there, there should be no. I mean, I think what we've 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 found is that an album is done when it's got the you know when it's done. So by that I mean, what it should be is if you've got six great songs, then that's what you should release. If you've got four great songs, release that. But don't release four great songs and three relatively average songs. Like think product is king and authenticity is king with releases these days. So mm. yeah, well, when was- what. Sorry. Sorry, Coach Charles. <laughs> I was just going to say, you gave me some great advice years ago, which I have repeated multiple times to people, okay. which is, you know, finishing an album, you've just got to the starting line. Yeah, mm, that's is, right. Is what you told me. And when you said that to me, I naively was a bit taken aback, like, what? 
what's he talking about? I've just, I've just made well, a record. But it's really true. You've done nothing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have, haven't even started yet. You know, welcome yeah, yeah. to the party. You've got an album now. What are you going to do? And that's, mm. that's right. It's like sort of like writing a book. I mean, I've written a book. Wow. It's like, well, no one's read it. So I've got to yeah. get it out and market it and release it and for people to read it and either like it or not like it. I mean, just writing it is, you know, that's yeah. your creative process. Um, yeah. You know, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, but this year, and I I hope I'm not speaking out of school here, but this year the Music Victoria Awards changed some award categories from Album of the Year to Best Act. Mm. Okay. And that was very challenging for one of the panels that I was on because what are we judging here? Um, yeah, what does that mean? What's the criteria for best act? Mm. Well, yeah, what is the best, you know, what, what does it mean? So the criteria was something along the lines of, I think I've got it here somewhere, um, audio quality. So you still were looking at the recording quality. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Performance, compositional <laughs> craft, artistic excellence. But then this one, active contribution to community. Oh, what? That and uh, I, th- okay, I think maybe, they changed uh, it because they were thinking that in the last year it's been really hard for people to put out records. So, you know, we'll change it to act. I don't know. But actually very difficult. So, you know, it sort of shifted our ability to sort of assess the work we were sent because act versus album, really difficult. I yeah, guess I'm not sure if I like is... that, but um, is there a, is there a waiting for each category as well, or is it just tick tick tick? Mm. Don't know. Sorry, go, Eric. Well, no, I mean, I, like, I think I I wonder whether just because I guess only a small set of artists at a particular point in their career would have potentially been able to make a full length yes. album in the last twelve months. So I can see a pivot. I think, like, so I would probably say. Agree with the like, you know, maybe it's just got to be called like that, you know, group and artists that had a good crack at doing something <laughs> in the last 12 months. Maybe that's got to be the <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because I like, like, I mean, I'm I'm all about like bands who got to the starting line, yeah. I mean, like Jules Pascoe came on, was it Jules? I think it was Jules, he came on a couple of weeks ago mm. and. He said, you know, like, and yeah, this has rung true in every episode since, which is just like, just just doing anything is, you know, do, or getting to a point where you've made a piece of work, whether it's an album or, a, you know, a, a group of songs that you can stand by. That's in and of itself, you know, a massive tick and a massive achievement. And and doing that in the, in the midst of a pandemic. And, yeah, being able to do that just in a pandemic Just making the bed right well. now is a huge achievement. <laughs> making <Yeah>. the bed... <laughs> Making, yeah, exactly right. You know, if I tilt my camera down a little bit, you'll see that I will put the washing away after we've finished this podcast. <laughs> well, look, it's, it's um, it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, just it's, interesting. It's really, deep waters, it's just yeah, on my mind totally. This yeah, week, absolutely. About albums and why we make them and how we interact with them, and then now how we judge them or assess them. And yep. I think some of the thought around it was a few years ago they changed electronic album to electronic act because they felt that was more reflective. And that was based on yeah. feedback from electronic artists that, hey, we don't yep. make albums. We might do mixtapes. Yep. We might do singles. So that sort of made sense. But in the jazz category, we were all sitting there going, 
huh? Because in, especially in jazz, I mean, if you're going to say best yeah, yeah. act, does that mean a session player? Because if they're a yeah. double bass player that plays in 50 ensembles, are they best act and they haven't even put out a record? Well, look, I think there's a really easy solution for this and that is the unofficial All Music Is Good podcast rating scale and we're going to get to that oh, shortly yes. and perhaps perhaps that may well be the panacea for well, all of these problems. Make it up, you know? go along, Eric. <laughs> I've, uh, we've got a really, really big list that we would happily share with, you know, all all and sundry as to how to rate records and um, – and I, you know, I feel as though we we could really be of of, of assistance for that specific conundrum. Anyway, act versus album. I'm not sure. I don't. I'm not sure. I'm I'm liking that. I I don't know why, but something just not feeling exactly right for me. Well, let's try it. Moment. Maybe let's try it. Maybe let's try it out tonight, and we'll go. We'll look oh, at the yeah. albums, and then we'll just put them on an act scale Actually, as well, okay. we'll and we'll see criteria. if there's actually any variation. Okay. Sounds good. Um, all right. Well, I think we're going to move on and just get this next segment out of the way before we get into some albums because there's good, some good ones tonight. Um, so the first segment of the week or the last se- – well, is it the first? Is your, do you call your unofficial rating scale a segment, Eric? I don't yeah, know. Anyway. I would say it's a, not a segment, it's a centrepiece. <laughs> okay, it's the, pivot, it's the pivot point of the whole show. <laughs> it's when, um, it's, yeah, that's right. It's the defining moment. Okay, all right. Well, I'll just go to my little thing that's uh, the Instagram like of the week and it is a segment that celebrates a new Instagram account we've come across between episodes. Each week I invite my co-host and this week's celebrity guest, Chelsea Wilson, to guess who or what this mystery account may be. As we like to reiterate each episode, we aren't about the thrills of a cheap like, it's more about honouring others with an all-music-is-good like on their account. It's a selective group and uh, we invite each week to, to well, who we like each week. We've welcomed uh, John Claude Van Damme last week, Eric. And it's been an epic week on our account because the big news wasn't the resignation of Angela Merkel from the bastions of power of, as Germany's, Germany's Chancellor, nor was it Olivia Newton-John celebrating the 40th anniversary of a single physical. But the winner hands down this week was all about Danny Minogue and the Young Talent Time reunion last week that oh, I'm wow. sure you watched, Arik. I, I missed it. Did anyone watch it here? I, I didn't watch it. No. Okay. No. That's cool. No, no sorry. I did Tina. watch Tina Arena's uh, interview. Oh, uh, yeah. The week, uh, that was on Channel 10. Yeah, that was that. the one, I think, wasn't it? I, I, I also watched Tina's, Tina's interview. Um Jeez, I mean, with that, that I feel as though we're going to enter all sorts of deep waters. Chelsea, yeah. um, you've done a gig with Tina, haven't you? I love yeah, Tina. I, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, I think she's great. Yeah, she's great. I, yeah, I love I'm Tina. Tina. I just, fan. I'm in. Uh, look, I'm in Tina's corner. I, I yeah. just um, Tina just seems to revolve around this podcast. Like Danny Ferrugia <laughs> was on. No and he was playing with Tina. She's but everywhere. Like, um, yeah. I don't. I just. I just don't like the fact that Scott Morrison has her as like. His number one. Plate. Well, that's like, not Tina's fault, though. It's is not it? Tina. No, it's not Tina's fault. And no, is that who he likes? Is that his number one artist? Yeah. And on the interview, they played a snippet of him talking about, "I'm going to go home and listen to Tina Arena," and she's going, like, "Yeah, you know. you're right, though. She's you're like, totally well, I right. guess that's he's got good taste in music, or maybe he doesn't. I don't know. Look, that was her answer that, to that. You're <laughs> right. That, that, that is that isn't Tina's fault. I just, I just, I, I just, you know, anything, anything, anything. Yeah, Scott Morrison talking about music, and then suddenly that 
Australian music is defined by Tina and Guy Sebastian just makes me nervous. <laughs> yes. There's, but I, but Don't I forget love, Delta. Lo- she, was love, just very, she was just very passionate and I loved that because, you know, over the last 18 months or so, you know, when they do get an artist on TV, mm. on Australian television, we're always so polite and it's always very gracious and... I love my the music scene. I'm so grateful to the fans, and I'm grateful that I'm, I still can make my yeah. music here. And she was kind of like, calls it out. "We need to get back to work. Yeah. Buy some tickets. Go to some shows. We're getting back on the stage." Like, you know, yeah. okay. Yeah, and she <laughs> and she speaking, went for the kill on like sport ages as well, which is which was a good a good moment. She kind of called yeah, out that's the, right. the double standard. Mm-hmm. Was that what was what was that? I reckon oh, she called out the what? double standard. Like basically, like the context of what she said was. A hundred percent, completely on point. Um, it, yeah, I just, it? It just, I just like what my fear was that it was going to get used in a Liberal Party um, oh, okay. anti Dan thing. Well, she du- was saying um, that a festival can get cancelled the night before or the yeah. day before, but they haven't cancelled any footy games. And, yeah, and right, she right. also said that, like, at, like at, in times of crisis, musicians come and do the heavy lifting yeah, and yeah, okay. are always first in line to help. But but society hasn't been last like we, musicians have been last in line from society's point of view for any yeah. help during the pandemic. It has basically led to pretty much the entire industry looking for work in a different industry. Which yeah, is yeah. well, the double standard that I saw that she called out was uh, the ageism one, and yeah, you know when she went to the uh, I think it was. Uh, uh, Splendor, and she was playing at Splendor, mm. and everyone was saying, "Oh, it's so good that you know someone your age is playing." And she said, "Well, Paul Kelly's on the same bill, and you don't hear anyone saying, oh, it's so good that you're so old <laughs> and you're playing at Splendor.' It's so bizarre. Anyway, um, I thought that was incredible. It's so awesome that you have someone like that yeah. calling that sort of shit out. Yeah, um, it is great, and as Art kind of mentioned briefly before the age conversations been pretty big yeah. in the industry and you know in the music community the last few weeks since that pretty ill-informed yeah. triple j tweet yep. uh, yes. and i think it's a good conversation to have but you know i don't know if it's just exclusive to the music industry society no. in general is pretty youth focused but there is a particular pressure i think on artists that you know, you meet people who say, oh, I'm 25, I haven't done an album yet, I'm never going to make it. Mm. Yeah. It's sad. Like where do, where do they get that idea from, really? I mean, I think the songs I'm writing now are much better than the ones I did 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Yeah. You know? I think same for all of us, we would say. Maybe not Arik, who <laughs> considers he's going backwards, but that's fine. <laughs> Definitely for your me, Chelsea. Um, anyway, this, um, <laughs> this week's Instagram like of the week, Arik. This person was born in 1947 in New York City and he was the son of a department store price checker. Okay, Okay, second, Yeah, second clue is his Arabic name means the noble one or servant of the almighty. Mm-hmm. Okay, third clue. He's been nominated for an Emmy and authored a book about Mycroft Holmes, the brother of Sherlock Holmes. Um... 1946? 1947. 1947, New York born. Chelsea. Okay. And yep. it's going to be pretty obscure. That's cool. You keep on... Uh, so Chelsea looks like she's got something yeah, she's sparkling. She's either thinking about um, her child in the background or she's <laughs> just like... She's no, you know, I just, going I to like a different place. His mentor during his time at UCLA College was Kung Fu legend Bruce Lee who helped him improve his martial art techniques. 
in what year was that? Well, I don't know. He was at UCL. When was he born? 1947. So I guess it would have been, you know, early 70s. I mean, I'm just going to like take a couple of quick stabs in the dark. Yeah. Uh, it's not um, Chad. It's not Chuck Norris, is it? No, it's not Chuck and Norris. It's not Did Chuck Norris have, have an Arabic name? No, but he might have had a <laughs> stage name. Like Chuck Norris <laughs> might have been his stage name, potentially. Okay. And, and Steven Seagal, maybe. Also, Steven Seagal's a stage name. But can't mental- imagine Steven Seagal writing a book. Anyway, well, he wrote uh, he wrote like Tones. multiple reggae albums, so maybe check <laughs> yourself. <laughs> I didn't know that. I'll, I'll be sure to check that out later tonight. Um, this person has received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and the last clue is he's the NBA's all-time leading scorer, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Welcome to the All Music Is Good Instagram Like of the Week, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> Interesting guy. Oh, um, you know, I mean, it's such a shame because that totally makes sense because he was also in one of Bruce Lee's movies, wasn't he? He, was. he fought against Bruce Lee. He did. It was like the seventh level, how Bruce Lee had to go up the seven different levels of the building. And I think Kareem was on the third or second level. I, I really would have loved one more clue that didn't go to the to the NBA all-time scoring record was. I could have said he had a patented move, scoring move named that, after that him. Would have been, that would have been better. But anyways, oh, I'm, I'm really happy I got it. So I feel like I, I, I'd given like five clues and I sort of had to get to it. And, you know, we haven't actually even really talked music yet. So no. I think we might have a quick break and then we might get into tonight's albums. Chelsea, thanks for joining us. And we'll be back in a second. Yeba's new album, Dawn, um, a Grammy-winning singer with a soulful voice and a clear gospel influence, Yeba is the childhood nickname and stage alias of Abby Smith. A native of West Mem- Memphis, Arkansas, Smith was called Yeba, Abby spelt backwards by her mother throughout her childhood. Raised in a religious household, her biggest singing inspirations growing up were the Clark sisters. While pursuing a career in singing as an adult, she featured on songs by American Idol alumni Clark Beckham and Nashville Nashville musician Luke Levinson. In 2015, before she she was championed by Ed Sheeran, who was moved by a live performance of her original song, My Mind. Around that time, she started going exclusively by the name Yeba in tribute to her mother, whom she lost to suicide soon after that performance. She made her Saturday Night Live debut as guest of Chance the Rapper in October of 2016. Uh, she released her first official single, Evergreen, in late 2017. In the meantime, she co-wrote No Peace for Sam Smith's chart-topping album, The Thrill of It All, which arrived the same year. The rudimental song, They Don't Care About Us, from late 2018, featured Yeba alongside Maverick Sabra. In... February of 2019, Yeba won a Grammy for Best Traditional R&B Performance for her featured spot on PJ Morton's How Deep Is Your Love. How good is that? Like, she basically sang, like, a verse and wow. she gets a Grammy and it was a pretty freaking awesome verse. 
Um, she went on to appear as featured vocalist on the Sheeran track Best Part of Me, um, as well as Mark Ronson's Don't Leave Me Lonely and the title track of Robert Glasper's Fuck Your Feelings LP before the end of the year. Uh, her debut album, Dorm, was released a few weeks ago, along with a well-received Tiny Desk concept. The album is produced by the producer to the stars and one of the world's best-known tastemakers. Obviously, we're on the rise, but maybe one day we'll get there. All right, uh, Mark Gronson. I think Questlove also had some input into this album as well. So she's got a lot of people in her corner. Mm. So, look, I might just quickly go first on this, if that's okay. Yeah, um, do it. For me, the first song started and you were like, God, someone's been like channeling Glasper's love of reinterpreting Radiohead songs. Um, I just thought it was such an interesting opening song. It was like, bang, we're in. I just thought it was like a really bold opening track and it almost, it almost felt like a third or fourth track on an album, like you needed a journey to reach this song, but we, oh, we were in. Mm. Um, so a caveat... So the first time I listened to this album was on YouTube while I was at work and what happened was the album finished and the Tiny Desk concert started, but because I was playing it in the background, I didn't realise. I thought, oh man, this is sounding so good. So I switched to see what song it was and then I realised it was the Tiny Desk. Um, And it gave me sort of some clarity and helped me sort of solidify my initial thoughts on this album. And I started thinking, was this album recorded like 12 months to 18 months ago? Because... Vocally, I thought she sounded way more confident singing the songs on the Tiny Desk than on the actual album. Mm. And I just thought that maybe, you know, she'd had time to work on them after living with them for a year. That's that's the sort of vibes I was getting. And I might be going against the grain here. I know that Yeba has this epic voice and I hear that, but I'm not – I don't know if it fully translates for me on Dawn. To me, it sounds like it's someone not fully over what she's doing melodically at times – especially early on in the album. She sounded like she's felt to me like she's going for a lot and not just letting the songs flow, especially some of the upper register singing didn't really work for me, especially on songs like Stand and Boomerang, which I think is uh, Tommy Brennix on um, producing oh, on that one. Uh, and, I, and you know that Banshee, oh, so woo, like that earworm. I love that. It's an that. earworm, but it just felt like it was trying to cram a lot in. Oh, God, so, you are going... <clears throat> Oof, Isn't that the millennial second? whoop? Yeah, woo, woo, woo. it is the millennial. Is that what whoop. it is? Yeah. <laughs> Look, so I had to go back. I, I I went back to this album three times, and so my thoughts changed after multiple listens, and the album did reveal itself. I I think I think the comments I've just made are valid, but there's a heap of stuff on this album that I did really like, and that became more obvious after a few listens. And again, I thought when she sits back and lets her vocals flow, I thought the songs worked really well. Like on songs like All I Ever Wanted, I thought this struck a really good balance. And the same goes with the collab tracks like Far Away with AOP, Rocky and the Q-Tip written Louis Bag. Um, I thought Distance had a, had like some really zero seven vibes going on with the acoustic guitar. And obviously with like 11 million plays on Spotify, I guess that's a single. Um, so I went from what I initially thought were faults that they were dominating for me to be able to hear past that. And there's a lot I liked on this. And, but yeah, I just thought that, that initial thought going back to when she was singing on that tiny desk really stood out because she was owning that tiny desk as opposed to the album. I thought, so yeah, there were, there were my thoughts on that album. Who'd like to go next? Well, look, I'm, I'm, I've got a lot to disagree with you on was, I'm but, sure you but, do. but I, I wouldn't mind just getting a temperature from uh, 
from the <laughs> As I said, I think I'm really into the grain. Like, I, I, I do know that, like, she is, you know, the it girl. And so, yeah, I just thought there's there's better albums in her. That's all. What about you, Chelsea? Mm. I, <laughs> I think with this album, I really, I think it's got potential to be a grower. I think mm. it's something I'm going to need to sit with and listen to for a while. It's not... To me, this album is so embedded in the grief that she has for her mum. So her mm. mother committed suicide and that's obviously such a difficult and awful thing to go through and it's fed into her creative work. So it's quite sad, obviously, in parts. Um, and I wonder with the singing performance, if there's so much emotion in there, it's not necessarily technically the greatest performance, whereas maybe when you are in a live performance zone, you can kind of click into entertainer mode, game face mode. In the studio, it's really intimate. You're with a producer who's creating this safe space for you to be vulnerable and in those feelings her voice is just kind of a big wash at times with all this layer and stuff going on. It's pretty yeah. subtle and understated in moments and then all of a sudden there is this sort of gymnastic whooping going all over the place. I found it a little bit hard to sort of really get into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's definitely a mood and I think I, I read one review that sort of says this is going to be like Adele's 19 album. There was a lot of Adele in her voice, I, th- I thought, absolutely. Yeah. So and that, I don't know. But. I think they're sort of saying, you know, what you're saying, that this isn't her best work so far, but, like, it's an amazing mm. debut. Yeah. And I think as an art, I, I'm not sure she's really found her sound. There's so many things going on in the album. It That's goes all over the place. It's, like, got dance stuff in there. It feels like country. And, I mean, she's a preacher's daughter, She's really influenced by gospel music. That sort of feeds in but in a strange way. So it's a lot. It's a big, it's a big album in that way. It's yeah, like going to an art exhibition that every every <laughs> piece on the wall looks completely yeah. different. And it makes yeah, good analogy. It just doesn't really make a lot of sense, but it sort of does in her mind, I guess, because it's a co- kind of concept concept record in a way. So I don't think it's really the kind of Yeba self-titled debut because it's not about her it's really a concept record about an emotion that is fractured and multi-layered and it is all over the place and that's sort of how the record landed maybe too many producers i'm not um it's it's i think also coming from a background where most people know Yeba as the girl who sings on a verse in How Deep Is Your Love, which is very gospel-y and soulful. And then you go from that to your introduction, because she hasn't really released much, to this. It sort of takes a while to get your mind into that headspace as well, I think. Mm. Anyway. Um, but very strong debut. I think it's an yeah. impressive debut record. And I'm really excited to hear more from her. Yeah, I think there's got, there's, a, there's an amazing career ahead of this this girl. She's super talented. But, yeah, like you, I... I the cohesiveness of it wasn't fully there for me. But Arik, I think you would like to differ on your opinion on this. Yeah, no, I'm um I'm I'm really surprised about this sort of lukewarm reception on this record because I thought it was 
I, I, I thought it's one of the best ones I've heard this year, and I guess I'll talk to that. Um, so I came across Yeba in 2015, which is a long time ago. Um, with that, it was a So Far Sounds performance of that song, My Mind, and um, and then you just it was just in, in this constant waiting period to hear when she was going to put out like the Yeba sound, and that's six years in the making to get to this point, and. <clears throat> And like when I first heard her sing that song, my mind, you know, very similar kind of impression. It's you know, super gospely, um, vocal gymnastics up the wazoo, all that sort of stuff. And then I put this record on, and on the first listen, I was like, you know, I was like, this doesn't sound like my mind. This sounds, you know, like it had that sort of understated sort of vibe. And then, as you both mentioned, it kind of went a bit sort of there were these little moments where the where she really sung out but i think to me like in terms of um, like capturing like a quintessential like american american when i say american i mean americana in so much as it's sort of this country it's a country record um a hundred percent i feel like i feel the songwriting is completely in a country format um so it, it, it may not necessarily be in in necessarily the kind of you know the kind of cookie cutter mold of a country record but i feel this is like 100 percent like an american country record and i think it's done ridiculously well and i absolutely loved it um to me i feel it's like contender of contender for album of the year in my in my mind um mm. I, I i think every single song felt like it had a place on the record except one which i think was the one that you mentioned was the one distance, the second last track that has the most amount of streams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just sounded like soundtrack. that's just been banged in there by the label. Like that was like almost like a UK moment in the whole record. Yeah. Um, was, but yeah, I um, I just I love her. I love her lyrics. I I feel as though I believe her when she sings completely. Like I feel every ride with her. And I thought the chordal stuff was really really interesting. I mean. You know, there is the element, like I think Mark Ronson is kind of the, the central producer across the whole record and, yeah. we, you know, we've talked a little bit about sort of like the, con- the concept of like the kind of super producer in, in specifically US music at the moment. You've basically got Jack Antonoff and Mark Ronson yeah. sort of on everything and yeah. sometimes it begs to the question as to whether it's the producer's record or the artist's record. But, mm. I, but I do feel in this record that um, I feel like Yabba's front and center i feel that um yeah it, it, well, i think it, she's the main songwriter on the whole yeah album. she's credited for every yeah, track yeah. so yeah that's yeah. really impressive yeah, yeah. I, I agree i think that's there's a lot to be said about that and yeah she's obviously a really strong songwriter with some of her past credits as well yeah but then you know just going you know when we introduced you chelsea we were talking about that sort of kind of, kind of guesting you know the people guesting on each other's podcasts and similarly you've got you know there's there's no album that comes Although out I don't without think we'll ever be invited to guest on control somehow <laughs> probably not <laughs> um but um but you know in essence this was an album that there was i think there were two guests but one is no yeah there was exactly there was smino and asap rocky yeah. and on both those occasions i was like they didn't need to be there like i felt oh, like i the, actually like those i just i didn't feel like the guest moments um made it more like a Yabba record. I think it was just 
Yeah, fair point. You know what I mean? It just it just seemed like sort of cheap thrills, um, and I and I really didn't like that. Um, had it just been her throughout, I would have preferred it. Um, you know, I don't want it. Like, I feel as though, you know, we, we what did we what was it? Chemtrails in Coburg. What was that Lana Del Rey album? <laughs> yeah, Chemtrails over Chemtrails over California. Lana um, Del Rey. Yeah, yeah, like like I feel as though. Like it's not a fair comparison, but the only reason I use the comparison is that I feel like Lana Del Rey was going for like the American record of the year, and mm. I feel she missed it completely. And Yeba mm. has just completely knocked it out of the park. Um, you know, I think she's met Arkansas. You know, from from the deep south, Arkansas, and that yeah. really kind of comes through. And it it just felt like a real just kind of country record. That um, yeah. Anyways, and and the other the other comparison, of course, is the Lady Gaga sort of country record. I feel because it's also produced by Ronson, and 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 whether or not you know, there's this there's a move in the pop world to just kind of hitting a more country thing. I don't know. There's a lot to think about, but I I, I, I did love I love this album. I thought it was brilliant. It's interesting. Like it is a, definitely an interesting album, and, and there's a lot to think about when you when you listen to this one. Um, yeah, it's a lot to process. Yeah. And that, and that, I mean, that that is the sign of a good album when you when you feel like you okay, I'm going to go back and listen to it, and like, yeah, definitely it did get better. Um, and I don't mean it wasn't bad, but it, you know, songs revealed themselves and opened up, and they started to make sense, and and songs flowed into each other. But I don't know, like, just it just didn't fully grab me the way I wanted it to, or the way I expected it to, and I don't know why that is, but well, I do know why to a reason, but um, I don't. I, I just don't think the songwriting was fully there for me on this album, um, but yeah, I think I think it's got, as I said, we heaps of potential. Can't wait to listen, uh, check out the rest of her career. Um, Arik, I might throw it to you to um, see if we can come up with a rating scale for this album and the rest of the albums tonight. No problems, Waza. Thank you. So. Every week on the All Music Is Good podcast, we like to do a shout out to the unofficial All Music Is Good podcast sponsor. The unofficial sponsor has no involvement and has had given no material contribution, nor necessarily any contribution to the podcast. Or will never, and and made and will likely never. It's it's really just a way of, I guess, showing some love to the things, concepts, ideas, or thoughts that. That uh, that we have during the week, and um, and then we go ahead and we we basically celebrate our, our our unofficial sponsor by attaching them to some of the best albums in the world um, through a rating scale, and hopefully uh, we can forge some new relationships between artists like Yeba and. Um, yeah. You know the big I pop think, stars um, of the high world. Cor- high Core Spa is still the only one to follow us back. That's true. High Core Spa, uh, and I did. Bed I did mattresses. Y- yes, Karakare did follow us back. I did yeah. message um, Calamaris Suvlaki Art a number of times, and I even went in with like a pitch, but they never got back to us. So. <laughs> um, anyways, so um, I won't go- keep you guys waiting any longer. This week's unofficial podcast sponsor is. The Cyclone 2.2 kilogram Matic. Uh, Thanks, guys. Thank are you, you talking about like a tool, like a Matic? Correct. That you like, I'm talking oh, about right. like 
The, the one with the two things on the end and then the other sort of trowel bit on the other end. You got it was. Exactly. The, wow. Exactly. The, those 10, 15 years of growing up in the country just paid off. So go. I had never heard about the word Matic until mm. um, I actually uh, – it turned out that um, – one of our All Music is Good podcast special guests had a Matic. I was having a gardening issue and he said, oh, mate, just just go get a Matic. And I was like, what's a Matic? He's like, oh, you know, it's the best thing ever. I don't know. The context is... I'm uh, trying to think what guests would have that. Like, I'm thinking someone like Liz Stringer would have so a Matic. So, you're very close. Right. You're very close. It was Matty Voigt. And uh, Matty Voigt's been doing a massive backyard re-landscaping with his entire garden and mm. um, and we were talking about gardening because I've also been doing some gardening and um, and I had this tree in the garden which which is like it's like, I don't even I don't know what kind of a tree it was but it was like a it had a trunk and I, I needed to remove I've, it I've been doing gardening I don't know what this tree is called and I, I yeah, needed, I needed okay. to remove it and um, and I was and I <clears throat> I was like, okay. Well, yeah, I was speaking to Matty. He said, "Oh, you need a matic." And and I don't uh, know if you'd use a matic to do that. Like you'd use like um, what's the other thing called with the pick? It's like a pickaxe, but it's more of a garden pickaxe. It's kind of like a matic. That's what it is. It's a matic. is like a pickaxe. It's got. Oh, like, you're talking about the long thing. Okay, got you. Yeah, that's I'm right. Anyways, yeah, yeah. next minute, I've got this matic, and, it, and I've got the Cyclone two point two k two point two five kg. Matic, and I have yeah. done a job on this this tree, and then I had to do it on two other trees. And you know, like every now and again, you know, you just you want there's a tool out there that is just like it's yeah. it's, it's going to do the job, and it's yeah, going to now a circular sander at the moment, right? Yeah. And it's going to it's going to do the job, and and then it's just going to be the thing that like you just know that when you need it, when you need it, you can do it. So yeah. Yep. I um I got really right into the matic, but I, I, it also gave me two massive blisters on my hands, which you might mm. be able to see. There you go. There's the two yep. big blisters. Awesome. But I did get uh, that's the they're, they're the musician hands. Okay, that's um, yeah. Uh, not 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 used to matics, or, or maybe not. Who knows? But um, I did manage to get rid of the plant, and I wanted to give it a big shout out. The Cyclone two point two five kg matic. But is Cyclone the brand? Cyclone is the brand. All right. Okay, because they used to do a lot of barbed wire and things like that, Cyclone oh, wire yeah, for probably, fencing. Look, it could be the same crew. Um, yeah. But look, it, 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 it made me think about the rating scale and um, and I do have a couple of ideas because... Okay, go for it. Basically, over the last two weeks, I have gardened the absolute shit out of my garden and have raised so many weeds, trees and, like, you know, killer grass that I'm, I'm currently a full green bin... Like beyond, <laughs> right, and yes. I've, I reckon I've got three more green bins worth of yep. of fill that I need to get. Mm-hmm. I need to get done, and you can only empty a green bin once. Or what is it? Every month, or a is it six, normally? No, no, no. Like, green bins aren't fortnightly. They're like well, in Monash City Council, they are. I mean, we garden okay. a lot out here. Yeah, okay, Might fair be enough. Side thing. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, oh, yeah. There's too much concrete in Preston for it to run every <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> every every fortnight. But in essence, um. I would like to pose that mm. um, we 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 look at green bins as a, as a part of our rating scale today, as to say, I guess if you have done a good job in your garden, how yeah, many yeah. green bins have you filled up? Would you filled? Yeah, that's right. Okay, 
Yeah. I don't know. Like, I mean, but you could definitely work on the half quarter or like all sorts of stuff with <laughs> you, a green bin. Well, the, was I, you know, I've, you know, that's why you're, this is why you're here. Like, mm. this is where, this is where you really step into your truth. I mean, if you were, if you had a really shit garden, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think, like, and you really had to do a job, like the guy next door to me who hasn't mowed his lawns in, like, God, I don't know, three years, like, that could be five green bins. That could be more than five green bins he I, has to fill up. Well, I, I kind of feel like, yeah, all right. So why don't so if I, so let's I mean let's say so. But is that is that a good thing or a bad thing? Like sometimes if you're I if you're good at gardening, you should only really ever have one green bin worth of stuff yeah, that you need well, taken away. Well, that's not necessarily like right at the moment when you know the lawn's growing quite fast. Like I might need to mow it once a week. So you know if you're not if your green guy is not coming around for six weeks to pick it up, I might fill up multiple green bins. All right, and I'll be doing a good job. Chelsea, what do you think? What what would be a good amount of green bins um, that that can really set us at the high watermark? I think she just wants to move on, Eric. I've got to be honest. I've got a bit of a life rule, and it's I don't do baking, crafts, or gardening. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> That's cool. So, this whole concept so, of green bins. So, so, so I I'm I'm trying to to find a pathway to relate. Well, She'd be more likely to put a matic on a wall as a piece of art. Yeah, like a mat, like a sort of like, like a, country like a, sort of rustic artwork, and I've got a like nineteen thirties matic. I like that. That wall. could work. But is it like five green bins is amazing? So I could give this record four green bins. Yeah, you could definitely do yeah. that. Yeah, that and kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. The vibe. Look, I think that's probably going to be the easiest way to look at it. Yeah, because Eric could go on all night in regards to running scales, so it's best to just sort of like. Cut it off now cut and it move off. forward. Five green bins is the ultimate, you know, we're, yeah, we're filling up. Yeah, you're filled up and you've taken care of business and one green bin is what? Like just you're not even making an effort? That's right. You're not even trying. Okay. All right. I can get with that. Okay, well, I might, right. go, I might go first. I feel go as on. though Yebba's album to me, four green bins. Four oh. green bins worth of winter COVID overgrown garden. You've got out there this weekend and you've just gone hard. You put Yebra on as a soundtrack and you've oh, just like that, the well, exactly. maybe that maybe that's actually part of it because I did listen to it when I was gardening. So mm. maybe the whole thing this whole sense. yeah, this whole show's just been it's just been a massive setup um f- from yeah, from an hour and 10 minutes ago. This is where it was all going. Okay. If the pivot point has been reached, Chelsea, <laughs> um what do you reckon? Um Oh, gee, I hate doing this. I hate writing things. Yeah. I'd probably, yeah, maybe three, 3.5. I'm going to land with you as well and I'm... Uh, so we weren't miles off. We weren't of, miles off. No, we weren't, we weren't miles off, but um, I've just filled it up with a bit of um, some fernery that's just sort of, <laughs> you know, not sort of, uh, hasn't survived the winter frost very well and I've just filled up three and a half. Green bins as well. Half green so. bin. And I guess, you know, that that last half a green Actually, bin... Actually, no, half a green th- bin th- is... No, I'm going to say three and a quarter. Sorry, three and a quarter green bins. Okay, 3.25 green bins. Chelsea's at 3.5 green bins. Yeah. Sure, yeah. And and the distance between 3.5 and 4 green bins is a distance. That's uh, that's what I kind of feel after after going through the room. That there is yeah. a distance between 3.5 and 4 green bins, and that might totally. be... Totally, that's probably... Um, three uh, three mower mowers full of uh, grass, That's which is a big day. job. It is. That's, That's a lot of three mowing. weeks of mowing, in, like with, especially with your spring weather. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> anyway, um, look, I think we just cut this off, Ari. It's a, a three, <laughs> 3.25 for me, three and a half from Chelsea and a four out of five green bins on the uh, green bin rating scale. Uh, we'll be back in a second with our second album. So our second album for the week is by UK artist Emma Jean Thackeray and the album is titled Yellow. Emma Jean Thackeray uh, was born in Leeds uh, is, and is a British British musician specialising in trumpet, flugelhorn, electronics, vocals and is also a producer. According to WDR, she is one of the next great creative minds in current new jazz. What's so, WDR? I don't know. I'm gonna. I'll, uh, I'll click on that. Let me check it out. <laughs> Let's hope it's a good source. I thought if it was forward, is it would be an American radio station? Uh, I think it's a. It looks like it's a. Uh, it looks Democratic like it's Republic a public paper weekly. It's, a, it's a European. It's a. It, it's a German. It's it's a German something. Right. Yep. German. Right. Looks like a German radio broadcaster. Okay, so some German radio. Pro- have, have dubbed her one of the next great creative minds in the current new jazz space. Mm-hmm. So Thackeray grew up in rural Yorkshire between Wakefield and Leeds, an area where brass bands have a long tradition. Um, in her youth, she played the trumpet and cornet in a brass band. In the beginning, she taught herself to play the trumpet and the piano. She developed an interest in all the music she encountered from jazz by Miles Davis to Afro-pop by Felicuti. You can tell I'm reading this off Wikipedia. To soul and folk, she later studied music we and talked about this. Irish. <laughs> look, I look just to my defence. I looked for other buyers, and the only thing I could find was Wikipedia, apart from okay. reviews. So, She's pretty young. Yep. Uh, she later studied music and jazz trumpet at the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama in Cardiff, and eventually developed her own sound when she created her typical impulsive sound from the repertoire of brass bands and jazz influences. Um. After her debut in 2016 with the EP Walrus, Thackeray worked with the London Symphony Orchestra in 2018 and performed with them at the London Jazz Festival. She's also performed at, at festivals such as the New York Winter Jazz Fest and the Glastonbury Festival. Um, 
uh, at Trinity College of Music, she completed a master's degree with Izzy Barrett on her own label, Movement. Thackeray released several EPs, such as Ley Lines in 2018. She also played on productions by Micaiah McRaven, Junius Paul, and Angel Butt Dawid. Um, she also oh, looked. We, at, remember that was the album we were gonna re- review. Oh, was it? Okay. Remember that one, Angel Butt Dawid? Oh, was a the album? live one. Yeah, Oof, that was a, look. I mean, we were torn on that. I actually really enjoyed that. Um, but <laughs> you did but I, I did. It made. I had a visceral. I had a visceral um, response. Yeah. Um, uh, musically, look. There, there's a bit here. I'll move on to 2020. In 2020, she released the EP "Rain Dance Wisdom." They used for pieces "Open and Open Again," um, and that is a little bit about um, Emma Jane Thackeray. And I, I feel as though in the context that you put forward, Chelsea, earlier around the kind of best act versus best album space, I might lead with this. Imogene Thackeray sounds like a pretty incredible artist who has mad props, um, you know, clearly uh, in, you know, in the top echelons of kind of the UK jazz world. But this album really didn't hit just it didn't it didn't do the thing and i guess um it's gonna be one of those nights for us isn't it yeah f- yeah we might be yeah. around the board tonight but um yeah. i kind of i think we've been completely just obsessed with stuff coming out of the uk probably in for the last yeah. you know since we started like it's been really apparent that whatever's going on in the uk right now is definitely the level by which shit. um yeah. we should be really aiming into you know i, I think They've set the level of musicianship, sonics, intent, um, yeah, authenticity, authenticity, and I feel as though uh, within that we've also had like an incredible amount of amazing UK-based jazz records that have come out in the last sort of eighteen months, including um, Vibration Black Finger, Nubia Garcia, um, and the Nubian Twist. And no, that wasn't that good. Yeah, but I feel as though when I listened to this record, I guess my first impressions were that like it was like okay, it, in, like interesting spiritual jazz. I'm getting that feeling. Um, you know, the arrangements are quirky and weird, but I at no point in the record did I feel a, an emotion. I didn't feel a, like I, I didn't feel a connection to the sounds that I was hearing. And so I I didn't feel, you know, like people can say spiritual jazz, but spiritual jazz in essence has that spiritual element, that sort of transcendental uplift. And I felt like it was ticking all the right boxes in so much as the changes and the, you know, big orchestral sort of things, but it didn't do that transcendental thing that some of, you know, the other sort of, similar type records in the market have done. Um, I think, you know, there were, there were two standouts for me on the record, which was Third Eye. I thought that was a cool song and I liked Spectre as well. But apart from that, um, I'd give this one a miss um, in so much as returning back to it. Um, yeah, but I'm but I'm actually really... But then when if we put it into a best act space, then, <laughs> then it has a totally different meaning. Um, because, you know, you, you, you look at her credits and you see the respect that she's got 
then you know you, you frame things differently. You, where does she sit when she plays or arranges for other people? All that sort of stuff. So I'll leave my review there, but I'm really keen to hear what you both thought about it. Well, you brought it to us, Chelsea, so you go next. Well, I'd like to start by saying I don't know if it's fair to say this isn't as good because it's great music coming out of the UK right now and so therefore this album's not that good because yeah, there's other things in the scene. Yeah, I'm not I mean, sure how fair though. that is. Yeah. So you're saying – so you're anti-standard. You just want you're, to fit it into a context. So you want to make a point and just fit it <laughs> nicely into the, this little square – peg that you've got and you want to fit it into it. So, it's, so it's you're, a real hole, mate. So, I mean, look, it's VCE exams right now and I guess the, the, the kids get standardised against each other. So it's not <laughs> actually 100 out of 100. It's like who oh, right. sets so the level. So, it's on a big platform that she's working on. Well, well, you know, I mean, I'm look, I'm a believer in standardisation. So, you know, let's go there. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're digging your way out of it and I don't think it's working. <laughs> Sorry, Charles, interrupted. No, you're fine. Um, yeah, I, I really like this record. And in fact, of all the four that we are discussing tonight, this is the only one at this stage that I'm planning to buy on wax. I kind of have a rule if I listen to something on Spotify multiple yeah. times. Me if too. it's something I want to hit favourite on and I keep coming back, then I have to I, I buy it on vinyl because yeah. I obviously like it that much. Um, and this is one of those, I think I'll listen to it for a long time. I think I'll listen to it again and again. I wouldn't say I'm completely enamoured and in love with every single song on the record, but overall I think it's an exciting album and I like her use of sousaphone and um, rather than the electric bass, I feel like it's a pretty unique take on It's definitely, you know, has the spiritual jazz leanings and if you had to put it put a genre stamp on the front. That's probably the closest things, but thing that you put on there. But I also hear a lot of acid jazz and dance music and 90s yeah. club stuff coming through this. And I think it's really interesting how that club sound has been sort of... She well, has used brass instrumentation and a spiritual jazz lens to put her da- dance music kind of inspiration through in so many ways. And well, I love jazz that. Jazz a big thing, isn't it, at the moment, especially in the UK. Like that's, that's yeah. you know, it's it's back and, you know, it's full of, you know, the whole broken beat scene and jazz is really mm-hmm. a big thing now. Yeah, and I think that's really fun and it's an album that, you know, she's produced and written. She's released it on her own label called Movement. Yeah. Um, she's from Yorkshire. She's not from London, so she's not totally within that in crowd from London she is kind of still a bit of an outsider even though she is in the UK she's studied in Wales not London Mm. um and I saw one review uh, from Pitchfork that calls the album supremely impractical I didn't like that review did you read it well I I just love that phrase supremely impractical and I want to use that for my own life for everything now because (laughs) when I think of how I want to dress it is supremely impractical. And I thought, well, this album is for me. Yeah, That's yeah. exactly what I want. I love the fact that she's just gone all out. Let's just use every colour in the whole freaking, you know, every colour I can. Let's just get out that whole set of crayons, just go nuts with all of it. 
Love it. But here's a question. Like if did I may, you, if, all right, before you go, if I may touch on that Pitchfork review, did you think it was like a review of saying, you know, writing like five paragraphs and then actually saying nothing? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it didn't you know, say anything. It was just sort of like, what have you said? I don't actually know what you think of the album but, at all. But, but it's, so, it's so Pitchfork because, you know, for, for to your point about Supremely Impractical, like Pitchfork loves to be able to, you know, make a, a record, to give it a utility of sorts. This is a thing that you can do when you do this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, <laughs> um, gardening record, or something. yeah, gardening yeah. record. But um, but but uh, but question to you, Chelsea. Like um, like emotionally, like did you did did it do with like I like I feel like there's like it, it, it's it's undisputably musically fascinating, right? Uh, but did it did it connect? Did you get an emotion out of it? Did you connect? And I'm not saying that that necessarily needs to be a metric by which an album is good or bad, but but thinking about says like the guy who says it has to be a certain level on the UK scene. <laughs> no, going. but like yeah, I mean, yes, I, 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 I don't find it's too intellectual that I can't get into it. I totally had feelings in it for sure. You had I feelings. Wanted to turn it up and move. So I'm like, okay. yeah. Okay, fair, great. Was up. Um, well, uh, you know, alluding to feelings, like for, for me, like this started and 30 seconds in, like I'm just thinking this is exactly the album I want to be listening to right now and I didn't know I wanted to be listening to it and I got that 30 seconds in. And when like – so Chelsea put this forward and I was like, hell yes, because like, you know, when you start hearing names that creep into the zeitgeist and the underground and in the back of your mind you're sort of filing it away and like I need to check this person out. So, like, 30 seconds of this album, you know, I'm like, shit, we're deep in spiritual, cosmic, you know, space jazz here. And I, I'm i like, I was thinking, shit, this is not a million miles from um, miles away in a silent way. Um, sorry, miles away, miles in a silent way. So, you see what I did there? Like, million miles, miles, <laughs> no, no, okay. Sorry, picking it up. Um, like, so, you know, th- obviously this is a scene that's had a resurgence over the past decade globally and, like, you know, locally we've had, you know, Lance Ferguson dip his toes into the field pretty successfully with, you know, the Menagerie Project, I think. And, like, this wasn't, as Chelsea said, it was not as traditional as a spiritual jazz album. It's like, you know, it's got a lot of modern concepts and, you know, so we go from that traditional opener to, you know, that Roy, Roy Ayers sort of influenced semi broken beat dance floor banger on Say Something and, you know, vocals are making an appearance and, um, like I was in after track two and then we had that sort of sort of set Freddie Hubbard inspired vibe on the tr- on about that track three and then track four had another spiritual jazz epic opening and then we, we were like in full Cardi Tatum sort of broke Afro broken beat and I'm like and I love the sousaphone following the main line and I'm like for me at that point four tracks in I'm going how fucking good is this album like it's a jazz banger mm. um and then, like, track five, thought it was a bit derivative, sort of the New Orleans-inspired, you know, green funk. But, you know, that sort of gave way to, you know, the killer horn and string arrangements on Third Eye and I love the wonky keys on Golden Green. I love the bookend track, uh, you know, on the outro, which is sort of quite sort of thematically the same as the intro on, uh, I think it's, what is that, Mercury in Retrograde. So... Like, firstly, like, for me, a massive nod to whoever mixed this album. I just thought it, like, captured that sort of 60s, 70s vibe really well. Um, I think that's important to give it that legit feel. And, 
secondly, like this girl is super talented. Like this is her debut album. And so like in a world of snobbery and wankery, because, you know, we know there's a lot of elitism in the world of jazz. Maybe Chelsea wouldn't acknowledge that, but I think we all know there's a certain <laughs> elitism I would acknowledge that. That, that, that is involved in this sort of scene. But like I reckon most jazz artists would kill to make an album as good as this and this, you know, in their whole career. And like she's done this on her first effort and I think that's, you know, what Chelsea said before about, you know, being out of the scene has helped this. Um, you know, like she's not breaking new ground here. Like, that there's, there's nothing new, but it just feels authentic. And in prep today, like I, I was listening to sort of the, an interview with um, Emma Jean on Mystic Brew on PBS and Mike was saying that Giles Peterson said last week that he thinks that seeing Emma Jean live was what he imagined it was like seeing Miles play in the late 60s. Wow. People don't go, like Giles don't go around saying shit like that without some thought going into it. Like that is epic praise. Yeah, but hold so, on. That has nothing to do with the album. That's a best act category, <laughs> <laughs> right? And it I, and just doesn't feel uh, self-conscious. This record, it doesn't, doesn't. It She's just like, feels like it, someone who's this. gone in. Yeah, that's right. It's someone who's gone in without any of the outside noise and just been outside of it and just come in and just put, put, you know, just written a really, really great and interesting album, which is heap, heaps of vibe. And there was hardly any negatives for me on this. Like, um. I thought maybe it was three songs too many, if I had to be completely honest, but that didn't really matter. I thought it was a seriously cool and well-made album. I loved it. I loved yeah, it. Yeah, same. Yeah, I echo all of those statements. Okay. I Mark. personally, you know, would, would love to make a record that would fall within a sort of jazz idiom, but it is so terrifying. Yeah. I just feel yeah, like yeah. the jazz police are coming. Yeah, yeah. From every direction. Yeah. Oh, that's not jazz and this is jazz and that, you know, and she's put stuff in there that is just so not, you know, your typical jazz, you know, and she doesn't care. It was just a mishmash of, yeah, that's it's not just, that. the and, stuff and, she likes and she does big band arranging, so I'll just drop this beat in here and, hey, the sousaphone part can do that and, yeah, maybe Roy Ayers did something sort of like that 40 years ago. Well, I'm going to get a bit of that and a bit of that and do it my way. Um. I mean, I love Chip. I love Chip Wicken, uh, our guest and spiritual jazz artist who came on. But he, like, remember when he was on Arik, he, like, had this whole thing on Nubaya Garcia yeah. and that, you know, he expected more from Earth. And, like, I think that goes back to that, Chip, I'm, I'm not having a go at you if you are listening, but that goes back to sort of those attitudes around expectations of, mm. about what jazz artists should do and shouldn't do um, inside a scene. And I just think, yeah, she has just ignored all that and come out and just done something truly incredible there you go that's going to be a lot of green bins for me Eric. okay well <laughs> let's hear it let's let, why don't you um why don't you know i mean in the spirit we might start with chelsea in the spirit of um what was it called impractical utility um and supremely impractical supremely impractical utility and in the spirit of the total um, you, I guess the Matic is the ultimate utility um, that, that helps <laughs> the, you fill your green bins with yeah, impractical, utility. supreme impractical, ah, what was it? Supreme impractical utility. How would you, like, how many green bins? Um, I'll lock in a four, please. Lock in a four, okay. Just as a question, what could have brought it to five? <laughs> Anything? Nothing? Oh, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> if a kid had a dance to it a bit more, maybe. Okay, fair enough. 
don't are, know. I just don't know that I give anything a perfect score. Well, no, that's a completely valid, legit yeah. thing. It's. Uh, I think we it, we all find it really, really hard to go to five. So, um, fair. Let's hear from you, Was. Um, look, it was a hectic day in the garden. Hectic. I had Maddox out. I had whippersnippers. I had mowers. I filled four and a half green bins. Oof, four and a half green bins. Yeah, so that's is, going up. That's going legit. up into album of the year um, category. Well, if you give it a high score, it definitely might get up into the album of the year sort of level. But if you don't, it probably won't. Well, I think it could. Um, but look, I, I'm. I I I want to go back and listen to this again. Have we changed your mind at all? No, yeah, you, this passionate. No, defense. you have, you have. Like, like I think, like, you know, think thinking about like you know creative instrumentation. That's gonna. Go, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna look out for that on a second listen. Um, I don't agree with you. Was about the mixing. Um, I like. I I didn't find anything particularly uh, exciting about the kind of sonics. This I didn't think it was exciting. I just thought it was of the genre and of a time. Okay, fair enough. Um, I'm go- look. I'm just going to land. It feels wrong. I'm going to give it a two. Two point five is not good enough because wow. it's definitely not. A, I, 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 I just didn't really get. Harsh. I, I just did, this just did not connect in any way so to me. Disrespectful to I guess you would go that way. <laughs> hey, this shit happens. All right. Yeah. You know this yep. shit happens. Um, two point seven five. I reckon I'm gonna yeah. It's a part like yeah, two point seven five. But it, I I just um I just didn't connect. Um, but okay. I, but I will go back for another listen. And because this is done, we've got a post thing. My score may change not only by the end of the episode, but also by the time we post it on Instagram. Maybe um, just get outside with your Matic after this. We're finished tonight, and just start waving around and just play this album in the background. Maybe, maybe. Well, that's right. Because in in fact, if all I did in in my garden was just wave the Matic around, that would be total <laughs> impractical utility. So supremely that, that, impractical. Supremely, supremely impractical, impractical utility. So maybe, um, maybe that is a good a good idea. I might take my Matic to the supermarket tomorrow. Um, <laughs> Yes, <laughs> just like walk, ar- walk Take around it down with it. to the Breck shop that kicked you out <laughs> and uh, wave it around. <laughs> cool. All okay, right. so what do we got? We've we got, got a, f- a 5.5, did you give it? No, 2.75. No, 2. 2. 2. 2. 2. 5. 4.5 and a 4 from Chelsea. Okay, so that was Emergene uh, Thackeray's new album, Yellow, and we'll be back in a second. Found a love to hold me down Felt that was so profound But now I'm older Planned out a life while I was flying blind Thought we'd sustain the high Grow ever closer Hold on, hold on Pleaded with him to think again From the passenger side He said it's gone on too long But thinking back on it It's clear he never Having trouble sleeping through the night But I'm done waiting at the borderline Knowing I could find Someone who served me like a savior Cling to me like it is the last time you can Enliven me like a stranger Bold in your behavior It's all in your favor In the end Serve me like a savior 
So the third album we have this evening is Greta Ray's new album, Begin to Look Around. Greta Ray was born in 1998 in Australia. She's a singer, songwriter from Melbourne, Victoria. In 2016, she was the winner of the National Triple J Unearthed Radio Competition for Bands and Songwriters and the 2016 Vander and Young Global Songwriting Competition with her song Drive. Greta Ray grew up in Melbourne, Australia, attended Princess Hill Secondary College uh, in inner Melbourne. She sang in choirs from the age of five, laterally singing and touring with Young Voices of Melbourne and as the youngest member of If You See Her Say Hello, a group of 21 Melbourne-based singer-songwriters. In February 2016, Ray released her debut EP Elsewhere, and in August of that year, she won the Triple J on Earth High for the song Drive, I think I said that, which was produced by Nashville-based Australian music producer Josh Barber with Jonathan Dreyfus, recorded by Nick Eden, Eden and Fraser Montgomery and mixed by US producer Ryan Hewitt. The song received high rotation, Airplane Triple J. Uh, the announcement was made by Triple J presenters Matt and Alex, who stuck into the school concert while she was performing. Uh, Unearthed music director Dave Ruby Howe called her a bold and exciting new talent who seems to win over everyone that comes into her orbit. Uh, she was also nominated for a J Award for Unearthed Artist of the Year. Uh, Ray won the 2016 edition of the song uh, Vander and Young Songwriting, uh, which I know, didn't know carries the largest first prize for any songwriting competition in the world. I don't know how much the prize money is, but... It's, uh, it's like 25 grand or 50 grand or something. It's a big... Yeah, 50 grand rings, rings money. bell. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's more like artist development, isn't it? Like it's sort of giving some money and just giving you a bit of a... Go out there and do something. Um, in 2018, Ray released her second EP titled Here and Now. And in 2019, she released a cover of Bon Iver's Restacks with uh, Dustin Taboo, is it? Dustin T- uh, Tebbit. Tebbit. And in 2021, uh, Begin to Look Around is her debut album. Now, for someone who had all of the above success, especially in Australia, you would think a debut album would have had to have come a lot earlier than six years, wouldn't you? So I dug up an article that basically said she just didn't think she could write an album with songs as strong as Drive. So that's why she did EPs, um, inverted commas, EPs, until she was ready. I thought that was pretty ballsy, actually. Um, you mentioned there was a lot of pressure on someone, you know, who, you know, had that sort of success to get right out there and, and cash in. Um, so she's now in a London-based, with a London-based management company. Um, and for this album, she's worked with writers that write for The Veronicas, Five Seconds of Summer, Tash Wolf and G-Flip. So, you know, straight away, just reading that, you'd expect that um, this album would have fairly strong pop leanings. Uh, who wants to kick it off? Look, I'll go. Um, I this was uh, I listened to this as I as I scrubbed my pot after scrubbed your matic. I thought you were about to say <laughs> not scrubbed my matic. Yeah. I um last night I cooked a uh, pumpkin and kale risotto. Um, oh yeah, and yeah, it was delicious. Yeah, you say that it was delicious. Yeah. Waza, I mean, you know, Chelsea, I'm, you know, you've known Waza for long enough. You know, you come with something exciting and then Waza turns around and goes, oh, yeah, I did a masterclass on that. Or, <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I, I got mentored by the world's best blah, blah about that. So, yeah. you know, that's Waza. It is f- true in terms of risotto, actually. Yeah, there yeah. you go. So, uh, anyway. should try my stinging nettles risotto all right, next time. Well, I look forward to it. I mean, you know, you talk a big game 
about risotto for someone that has, I, as a close friend of yours, never been invited over for risotto. Yeah, right. You did. Well, you, you came here talking about Arborio before when everyone knows the prince of Arbo- uh, risotto rices is Carnaroli. But anyway, I digress. Anyway, scrubbing my uh, delicious pumpkin risotto, when I, when I did overcook it, so fair fair game, And which, you know, I, so I, basically I was scrubbing this pot for 45 minutes, which was a perfect amount of time to listen to the Greta Ray record. <laughs> and... Um, and the first imp- the first thing that happened was I put it on and like it, the first five songs were just like completely just fluff, right? I just felt they were just fluff, um, and I, and it completely put me off the record. And yeah. then there's like at some point the whole record changed, like in the last four or five tracks, and it really was great. So. I don't know what was going on there. Like, I mean, in, in the context of how you've said... A&R fail, Eric. Massive. And, mm. and it like, to me, it feels like... Now, like, con- contextualising everything that you've just said, which is she always did EPs. She then hooked up with, like, a, a, a UK pop machine. They've mm. What they've done is they've just put, like, what they... Th- whoever's in charge, I don't know who's in charge, um, but they've put... All the singles at the all the, the these are going to be commercial singles at the front, which meant nothing and f- made me feel nothing. And then the backside, which was all the filler, sounds to me like the, the songs the artist wanted, and they were easily the strongest. And and it actually, to me, so so that's like thinking about the album in that way. What song did you think was the strongest song on the album? Um, let me because just, for me, I I agree with that because I personally thought track fourteen, which is the second last song called "Love Me Right," was. Easily the single. It like had like epic club remix written all over it. Like bump it up another 10 or 15 BPM, put a big beat on it. Singles, remix it, package it in the can, get it out to Osterio. Just get it happening. <laughs> get it out to Osterio. Um, I'm just going back to the album now. Bear with me. <laughs> yeah. So like my favourite songs were The Brink. Um, I, I won't be able to tell you exactly what, what made them – my favourite, but I just marked them. The Brink, Worldly Wise, Love Me Right and Careless were my favourite songs. And um, that's three out of the last four were in the top plus one in the middle, which was The Brink, number six. And the mm-hmm. first four just lost me completely. So then so that like I was thinking about that. And then the next thing I was thinking about was going back to the, you know, the famous Jules Pascoe, if you make an album, you're already an yeah, absolute awesome. legend. Yeah. Like one thing that I did feel about this was – She's got, you know, she. You, I feel like as a writer, she's just a such a confident writer that she had enough to say um, across however many. What was it? Fifteen songs. Well, that's a lot. That's it's a lot, a lot of, songs. of songs, but like I yeah. didn't feel like there were. It, I didn't feel like there were like th- lyrics were just getting thrown out to just do filler songs, and I feel I, like I, I guess what I'm saying is I, I feel like Greta Ray is a great songwriter. Um, you know. Great performer. The whole record was – like the first half of the record was auto-tuned within to an inch of its life and yeah. lost all of her actual vocal quality. And They didn't I, put enough of the humaniser uh, they, the hu- they didn't put the fucking humaniser plug in on it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and look, I don't know. To me, it's just from, from a full album's point of view, it's a miss, but there's some absolute gold on there and I wish I, – I, I wish that – it was worked on by a different team that didn't sort of just juice it of all of its potential soul. 
because I, I think that Greta Ray's a, a great songwriter. So that's uh, that's my hot take. Um, I might go next if you don't mind, Chels. Um, so, like, yeah, it started and then I thought that first track into the second track was a bit clunky. Well, there was like a 30-second, like, intro that didn't but really connect. But it didn't kind of fade into the no. next one either. I was just like, oh, that doesn't make sense. Completely didn't make sense. There. Agreed. Yeah, well, what, what was the point of having it there? Um so like, but you pretty much clock that you're in indie pop territory, yeah. and I don't think it's a bad thing to be able to identify where you're landing on an album. Um, it's kind of like I'm here, here. This is what I am. Judge me on you know what I do in this sort of arena. So I thought the album sounded great. Um, like as we've talked a heap on this podcast, you know, obviously it's only our opinion, but if you're an Australian um, presenting an album into the commercial pop world has to be at a certain level sonically to compete with what's out there in the international marketplace. And I thought without a doubt this album did that. Um, and like after listening to the whole thing, it's sort of, it, it is solidly rooted in the indie pop side of things, but there's, I thought there's a country tinge to a, to a fair few of the songs. And I could sort of see this being sort of marketed to American country acts um, that sort of, you know, you know how country seems to have moved into pop now and there seems to be weird different no real differentiation um i thought um i like the mix i thought the production of the vocals on this album the lead vocals i thought was pr- pretty awesome i like the panning and the placement of the bvs i thought that was on point um i thought that op- that track two that which she didn't like any of them but i thought bigger than me which was obviously the single was pretty well crafted remind me of lords royals a fair bit um so, yeah, I talked about Love Me Right. I thought that was the single. I thought that was a bit of a missed opportunity. Um, my criticisms were that the album felt a little safe and that's possibly unfair because, you know, an album like this is probably meant to be safe um, to be in the commercial market. So that's probably more my taste. You know, I look, want a bit more quirkiness and risk. Um, I would also say along the same line um, is that the songs were a little same-samey. Um, which included the vocal top lines. So when going back, it was I found it a bit hard to distinguish songs from each other. But again, like I think to some level I'm missing the point. Like it's trying to find that one song that unlocks the key to the rest of the album. Um, and I, I disagree with you. I think the album was there was a fair bit of filler, and I thought fifty minute, fifty three minutes was too long. It could have been a more cohesive listen with the uh, slightly shorter. Um, but overall, I thought it felt confident and it was fairly self assured. Um, and I'm sort of interested to see how it does. So I backtracked through the local charts and it debuted at number 13 on the area charts and it dropped out of the top 50 the following week. But then, you know, I looked at those charts and Taylor Swift's 1989, which came out like 10 years ago, is still at number 29 on the area charts, which is just bizarre. Um, but I think it raises like a question that, like this album feels like it's had money spent on it. it Would has. you agree? Well, I'm looking, mm. I'm looking through it at the moment. It's like a... Full kind of EMI Sydney studio yeah, right. album. So, like most of the songwriters listed above, don't just write songs for points. Like they would charge as well. Um, so, like, like, like my question would be: So, how do like artists on the periphery, like um, Greta Ray, break through? Like, you'd imagine that there's a fair bit of debt accumulated accumulated on an album. And if it doesn't hit, you know, does that debt get wiped and do artists like this get a second chance if it doesn't sort of, you know, cut through? I don't know. Like, I mean, just it's interesting. And, you know, does she will she get another bite of the apple if, if this doesn't sort of, you know, 
get get chart time. Like, you know, she's signed to EMI Australia, so that would be the ones who are pushing her the most. Mm. Um, you know, is it a sleeper? Will, will it get synced? I mean, there's a lot of songs that could be sort of synced up on television. Oh, but I, mean, I don't I think know. It's like, do I just, really I just well. don't know. I think it's going to do fine. I think it's got... Why do, you, com- why do you think that? Because it's been out for like six weeks now. I think... And I mean, I, I don't follow Triple J's, what, whatever they add, but it's just got Triple J audience written all over it. Um, yeah, but is it getting played on Triple J? I don't think they are. Um, uh, well, I'll, I'll look it up whilst you guys continue to chat. Um, <laughs> no, no, I, I legit will. I'm, I'm curious. But I, I, I just feel... It's a, it's very you know like I feel it's gonna it's gonna do just fine and I don't know about that because it seems seems like if I think about it, like you know I'm trying to think of artists that this sounds like and when I when I read the Veronicas I thought oh yeah maybe this is sort of like a Veronicas sort of sounding album um, maybe they're not Vanessa going to Carlton J. maybe it's going to Nova who knows yeah that's I think it is like I think it's more a commercial pop album than it is a Triple J. Album. Like it's too polished, I think. Um, not that it's a bad thing. Oh, and you know, like, who gives a shit about Triple J? I mean, it doesn't now. matter. But I just wonder where the market is for it um, and how it's getting pushed and to what marketplaces. Mm. Anyway, they're my questions. I mean, if you want to discuss it, discuss it. But Chelsea, I'll throw it to you. Don't they say it's something like only one out of 10 major label records recoup on expenses? Yeah, and that's that was totally in my head as well because I started thinking like if one in ten is recouping but they're probably not recouping at the same amount as they once were and so like how many how many artists get a second bite at the cherry, you know, when when how profits are, are diminished. Cherry at yeah. all. I mean mm. so I yeah. think they really want this to be a success and you know, I hope for Greta that she achieves everything she wants to achieve. It sounds like it was quite a journey for her. I mean, it is for all artists to make a record, yeah. but it was five years between win- winning the Vander and Young Prize to actually getting an album out. <clears throat> and, you know, one interview that I read, she said she felt pressure to put out an album sooner, but she didn't feel that the songs were there. Yeah. So I found that interesting because... Does she really think that with this album the songs are there? Um, mm. But I hope that she's really happy with this record. Um, I agree with what you said. Was it feels it feels safe and a pretty constructed record? I think it's um, very much wanting to launch mm. her career to. And take it to a next level. Um, it feels like that's the kind of goal and aim of it. Um, I personally didn't resonate with the record musically or lyrically, but I'm not sure that I'm the target audience. I sort of no. was really questioning when I was listening to it, is this like a teenage angst coming of age record? If I was yeah. 15 would this feel different? Or if I was 21, would I feel different about it? I think I think that was my point. Like I couldn't pitch that market. I, I couldn't work out what the market was. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, yes, this wasn't – it wasn't my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't my favourite of our list today, but um, wishing her well. And, yes, there's definitely some great moments – in there 
Well, music is good. It, um, you know, it's it's whatever floats your boat, and not everything is going to. Um, I mean, especially going from like Emma Jean to something like this, it's you know, it's different, but it's nice yeah. to touch on different and stuff. And also with Yeba as well. I mean, it's interesting because the these three albums that we've chosen are all debut records, and they're mm. all by women that are twenty six years old and under. Wow. Yeah, um, okay. So, I mean, it's pretty extraordinary how talented these three women are that have put out yeah. records all in a short time frame. Um, what a time to be alive. Mm. I mean, it's they're all really impressive debuts yeah. for their own individual reasons. Um, I just particularly have such a love of jazz. Um, so for me, Emma Jean Thackeray, I was like, this is awesome. Whereas Greta Ray feels more like a pop. And I'm also really into pop. I love Kylie Minogue. I loved her disco album of last yeah. year. I would have loved, that would have been my great five. Album. That great album. Love that. We love that one. That was a great <laughs> album. Yeah. But that here's the thing. Song. How good was that? So that's much cool. fun. It was like exactly the album I needed in lockdown. Yeah, Magic. It's oh, Magic, Magic. That's right. So magic. good. Do but, you, but do you, do you? Um, like, so good. Just so, so good. So, you know, I do love full-on pop music as well. Magic, yeah. But Greta Ray's album, I didn't resonate yeah. with it quite as deeply. I, can't, I, can't, I don't want to feel like I'm being overcritical on this album because I think there is, you know, it is a strong debut and it feels confident and there's lots of good mm. things about this. But I just, I can't, um, I, you know, with the last two albums, um, well, I mean, Herbert Jean and Yeba, they kind of feel current and this album didn't, feels like it might have been recorded yes. two years ago. A hundred percent agree. And it's just got a release now like, and it might not be current to what two years ago was. I totally agree on that point was and I think like, you know, we've talked about a little bit this like on the pod which is just around pop music and, you know, like pop, like there's been, I've, you know, we've, I feel personally that there's been a real elevation in like the pop world of songwriting has gotten better, people doing more interesting things um, compared to what it might have been a few years ago. Even looking at. Yeah, it's not paint by numbers. It's not paint by numbers. And, yeah. and like, you know, um, like people are, are taking risks on chords and not just doing your stock standard. When I say taking risks, I mean, it's not just like. Uh, there's more than a, it's more than a four chord song these days in in pop records and I feel like Yabba is a really good example and you know Saint Vincent is another which is like a pop record it, I mean it's still in 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 the pop world um, I mean God even Bieber is taking more risks than he did two years ago yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. but this well he's been taking risks for a while but yeah I I know what you're saying but this is riskless um, and and I, and it also feels like that's quite a you know, especially when we move towards Australian pop music, um, you know, there is maybe there's like there's there's a there's a we're a risk averse pop market, so to speak, where yeah, where yeah. pop music, you know, you've only got two places where it could land, and it's got to either land on Triple J or it's got to land on commercial radio as a hmm. pop release, and it and if and it will definitely won't be on PBS and Triple R potentially, like it, it's just not the space for it. So you you actually have to just play exactly to those spots, yeah, and as true. such, what you get is paint by numbers pop music, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, which is which is tricky. So I mean, I don't know. I kind of feel like for an artist like Greta Ray, like thinking about again her early stuff. I thought just like her early stuff was so great. Um, Drive was rad, and you know, it was. 
I mean, maybe I'm being biased because it was a Melbourne team and it felt really Melbourne and it felt really great. Um, and then this is just feels really Sydney. But even though like Sydney's got its own cool thing about it. So anyways, I'll stop there. Let's yeah, take yeah. it to the rating but, scale. Yeah, let's, let's rate it. Um, um, yeah, you go. I might go. Look, I'm going to I'm gonna probably land again on a 2.75 here. I just I feel like it's okay. Um, it's I don't think I'm going back. Um, you know, and if I compare that to the Jane, um, the um, Emma Jane Thackeray record, I'm I'm definitely going back to see. Oh, I believe, but I'm not rated them the same. It's just <laughs> blowing my brain. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sorry. is what it is. All music it is, is what good. It is. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't think I'm going back here. I just I, I don't feel like I can't, I feel like it would be it wouldn't be right to go a fifty percent on this. So yeah, no, I agree. I'm landing that. it at two point seven five. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite similar. I'm going to give it a three. Three green bins, just wheel them out, pick them up, bring the bins back in. I'm going to go 2.5. Yeah. Okay, so we have a 2.75, a three and a 2.5 for Greta Ray's debut album. Let's, uh, let's take a break and we'll be back with album number four. for this week is by Jordan Rakai and the album is called What We Call Life. Jordan Rakai, born May 23rd, 1992, is a New Zealand-Australian musician, singer-songwriter and record producer currently based in London, UK. Rakai has also released and performed under the moniker Dan Kai. Uh, Rakai was born in the small town of Tokarora on New Zealand's North Island to a New Z- um, to uh, um, I guess a, a, a mixed, um, a, a new, they're saying New Zealander mother. I'm not sure exactly what that means, and a Pacific Islander father. Um, or it's Anglo mother, maybe. Anglo mother, and a Pacific Islander father. At the age of three, Rakai and his family moved to Brisbane, Australia. Growing up, he played the piano and guitar, and later learned digital production with an Akai MPC sampler. He lived in Brisbane until he made the move to London in 2015. Rakai's first releases were live at Recording Oasis and Franklin's Room EPs in 2013, self-released, aged 21 years old. Less than a year later, in 2014, Rakai released Groove Curse EP, and that was the first release on the Soul Has No Temple label. Less than a year after this EP, he made the move to London. After working with artists such as FKJ and Tom Mish in September 
uh, sorry, December 2015, who's part of a Grammy nomination for his work on Disclosure's track Masterpiece, released on their 2015 album Car- Carousel. Rakai released his debut album Clock through his own label, 4101 Records, on June 3rd, 2016. Later that year, he unveiled his dance floor alias Dan Kai and released his first EP titled Joy Ease Lightness on Rhythm Section Records. On oh, June 6, cool. 2017, it was announced that Rakai had signed to Ninja Tune Records and would be releasing his next album with them. With the announcement came the release of his new single, Sorceress. Later that month, he made his Glastonbury Festival live debut. On 22nd of September 2017, Warflower was released on Ninja Tune and was later shortlisted for Best Australian Album in the 2017 Australian Music Prize. There's not many um, Australian artists that would have been signed to Ninja Tunes, would there? I wonder if well, he's one of the yeah, first. Well, well, what, is the highest code of the second? Well, they, yeah, they, they did, but um, that was only recently. Well, I also like the fact that he was nominated for the Australian Music Prize and he's from New Zealand, but hell, <laughs> let's continue. <laughs> yeah, um, it's all the same. Yeah. Um, so, he's, I mean, I'll, I won't go through all his entire back catalogue. Let's get to this record. Does the Australian Music Prize pay money? Uh, 30000 Well, there you go. He'd be more than happy with that, I'm sure. Um, in September 2021, Rakai's fourth studio album, What We Call Life, was released, um, preceded by four singles. Rakai said the album is his most vulnerable and intimate album to date, something that he attributes to listening to singer-songwriters like Laura Marling, Scott Matthews, Joni Mitchell and John Martin whilst writing the record. So, let's get into it. Um, Chelsea, what did you think? I really like Jordan Rakai. I've been following him for quite a few years now. I've seen him live. I've got most of his records. What I really like about his work is it's a mood. He's really yeah. creates a mood, kind of like Sade. You know, there's only mm. really a handful of artists that have really done that, you know. I mean, if you think of big pop stars like Beyonce or whoever, that they don't they don't do that in the same way. Jordan just has this kind of energy that he brings to everything that he makes and I love that about him and it's really unique and it's very much him and you always know, oh, that's Jordan Rakai. His voice is incredibly distinctive. But Mm. I think within the sort of sonic universe that he's created and all of his discography sits kind of very neatly in this sort of sphere that he's created this Jordan Rakai universe this album still has completely different sounds and different flavors and different things going on than the other albums but it's still very much him which is quite a mastery of using the studio as an instrument it feels like the studio is his other instrument he isn't sort of being put in different flavored boxes by a external producer he's really uses sounds in his own way and they still fit within and serve the songs that he writes and I love that about his work um his vocals in this record there's definitely some moments where he really uses that sort of fast vibrato bleat kind of effect that is a little Mm. Jeff Buckley at times Mm. I think lyrically this record and you know what he's sort of talked about and what's on the press release is that he wanted to be more vulnerable with this record be more fragile with this album he wanted to lyrically 
document some of the concepts that he's been unpacking through his therapy sessions and his positive therapy movement that he's been exploring and examining his parents' divorce and his adolescent early adulthood journey moving to London and finding his independence and his new marriage and weirdly his irrational fear of birds is also listed on his <laughs> Bandcamp page as part of his therapy. Um, we've also got to remember this is a 29-year-old man who's mm. just released his fourth album Yeah, and it sounds like he has spent a lot of time during lockdown like a lot of us have in a lot of deep reflection and maybe... Mm. You know, he's been touring extensively for the last few years and has made quite a lot of records and done all these collaborations that Arik just mentioned, but it seems like maybe he's finally just stood still for a little bit and so then he's gone really inward and actually thought, I'll go to therapy and work through some of these issues that I've never really dealt with before, such as his parents' divorce, which obviously has affected him quite deeply and that's come out in this album and so I think his vocals sound more vulnerable at times and his lyrics I mean it's very it's an introverted wall of sound in a way it's interesting it's like yeah who creates this huge sonic texture to say something that's very intimate Um, and it's a beautiful it's a beautiful album I think all of his work is really beautiful and yeah, I, I think it's a really strong record from Jordan. Was what, what about you? Um, look, to say I was pumped about this album, I think would be an understatement. Um, it's kind of funny because it feels like the Tiny Desk series has entered the psyche of discerning <laughs> music listeners over the past five years. And I think like the mark of a great band is to appear on Tiny Desk and, like, slay. And it can propel artists from, like, unknowns to who the fuck are these guys, much like it did for acts like um, Tank of the Bangers and No Name and even Anderson Pack to yeah. a lesser extent and also Jordan Rakai. Um, like, he's set on Tiny Desk. is probably in my top five on of those Tiny Desks. Like, you know, he's a Kiwi, Brisbane raised, London residing. Like, the the set is mesmerising, like, and the band are shit hot. And they just absolutely slayed that set. And at one stage, like in the outro of the second song, like they're just in such a deep pocket. Like I can't overstate how much I love that Jordan Rakai set. And like he's played like he's played at Northside. Did you see him at Northside? Chelsea, I think he did some gigs there. And it's just local, full respect. Like seriously talented guy. Um, So straight up, the first listen of this album left me so disappointed. I just thought... It was mediocre, no standout tracks, too clever for its own good, mm-hmm. almost like making anti-hook songs. And and the, and the comment I wrote down first listen was just all atmosphere, no substance. And I was just not feeling it. And I, I came so close to not going back for take two because I just didn't. I was so disappointed. And I checked out a couple of reviews just thinking, yeah, yeah, they'll be on it. And everyone's just going, this is gold this album's amazing i'm like going oh how could i get this so wrong and so like i went back for number two and i'm so happy i did because i think like it just proves like we've been all over this so many times eric that you know you just need to give albums a chance to reveal themselves in different environments 
And for me, that different environment was like making a tiramisu on a Saturday afternoon, um, like I did yesterday, and not really thinking about it too critically. Like I was just letting it wash over me, like you know, while I let the mascarpone wash through my egg and sugar blend. You mm. know, it was sort of you know that was that was the vibe. So I think I'm going to sort of start listening to albums more in that sort of food context moving forward. I think it's like something about listening to an album critically on first listen that makes you go straight for the faults in it. I don't know if you do that, but like I if I'm listening to it critically on the first, I just I just try and pick out what's wrong with it, which is just well, it so depends. bizarre. It, it depends. I mean, there's so much to it, right? But like it also depends like how pumped you are for it as well. Like Yeah, I think I was too pumped. Mm. So um, Look, look. Where did me, you land? Like, where did you land on that in that second listen? Uh, like, I, okay, so I, I will say that I didn't think there's any singles on this album, and I, I honestly think this album suffers from not doing this. Like, I think it would open up the whole album to a wider market because, in reality, this is such a beautiful work. And I think just having a song that invites people in to discover its beauty would help this album cross to a more broader audience, with which I think it deserves. Um, like it lives in that sort of. Isn't that his whole head. discography in general, though? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, He's it just is. Kind of it like, is. Like more like, like a musician. He, he has no hits. He yeah. has no, no hits. Like it's actually insane. And if you go and have a look on his, you know, Wikipedia page or whatever, he also hasn't really won any awards ever for any of no. his records, which just seems like a complete crime. I mean, they're really fantastic. So mm. he seems very still, I think, oh, he's super famous, but he's still actually very kind of underground. Yeah, very underground. There's no, uh, yeah. And he I, should I think be. if it had that, Chelsea, sh- I think that would would get people to go back into the back catalogue, all of that. I, I just Same. think it's it's a song. It's it's and I, I don't mean that in a negative way at all. I but I just think he needs something to just just open everything up. I think everything would come with with just that one song. I, it feels so uh, uh it feels icky saying stuff like that. Like he needs it here. <laughs> Maybe he's an uh, album he's an album guy. He is an yeah, album guy. He's a real artist, artist, you know. He's a musician yeah, that's he muso. Is. Totally and that. he's yeah. signed to a label that loves what he does. And totally. He's the opposite of Greta Ray. <laughs> like I yeah. think if he, you know, it feels like she's with a label that's like we need to, you know, we're going to make a hit here, we're going to get this positioned and yeah. Yeah. Jordan's team oh. doesn't feel like that's where they're headed. But I just wish he was getting more of that recognition because he's sensational. Yeah. I think um, also part of me wishes that he were recording an acoustic album based around sort of that tiny desk lineup because, like, referring to what you were saying, Charles, before, like, there's such an intimacy in his vocals that suits that lineup. And I think the production on the album is so grandiose. Yeah. That sometimes I think a lot of it could be stripped back, and it would allow his voice to connect a little bit more. That that was sort of what I was getting sometimes because it's so, yeah, it's so, it's so intimate his vocals, and yeah, I just wanted to 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 feature that. Um, there's a lot. I think I'm just what I'm saying. There's, there's a lot going on, and not that it's a bad thing, but it's just my preference having heard both iterations that I, I like that sort of more acoustic iteration for him. Um, Look, tracks for me that I loved were the, the first four songs were just awesome. I also liked the closer, um, the flood, which was beautiful. Um, 
I th- as I said initially, I think this is another one of those albums that just plays away in the background and, and washes over you and just draws you in slowly to its delights, which is the sign of a really, really good album. And I, I'm so glad, yeah, I went back for seconds and thirds. It's a beautiful album. Arik. Yeah, look, I um, <laughs> I, I enjoy, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I actually preferred the second, again, similarly, I felt, I felt the second half of the record was better than the first to me. I, um... There was something about like the things that I've gravitated to Jordan Rakai in the past is that that intimate draw you in soft performance that you know you can almost hear all the air in yeah. his in his voice um, and you know you, you kind of feel that when you watch the Tiny Desk thing especially because there's no production like there's no like production um, and it's just it, you just hear that raw honey that he does vocally. Um, but for me, it was interesting that, that like those four, first four tracks were the maybe I, I haven't got I don't know him I don't know his entire catalog deeply, but um, I've I've always assigned him to kind of that soft, understated vocal performance with like all that magic in there. Um, but the first the, the first half of the album sounded like he was really singing out, which was new for me in in hearing like him really go for notes and and, and kind of open up and. Uh, the thing that kept on coming to mind was like he, like it's like a, it almost had like a sting esque quality mm. to just like just how powerful he was in that upper register, um, but I but but it, but it didn't land for me. But that's also potentially a matter of taste. Um, I, I don't I don't really get down so much with that that stuff. Um, yeah. But then the second half of the record I just loved and. It felt like all the instrumentation started to come up a bit more, like come up in so much as like be showcased a bit more and 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 be more playful. Um, and there was one, yeah. So I'll just go through my fave songs. Um, Clouds, run, runaway, wings, and brace were my favourite. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it just yeah, and and I felt lyrically as well, like it felt just more connected on the backside. Um, I really enjoyed it, and I'm definitely going to listen to it again. Um, yeah, a good. Do you think his voice sounds a little bit like Chris Martin as well at, some, at stages? I don't mean that in a negative way. I didn't pick a bit that, of that up. Coldplay sort of little Terry mm. sort of you know swings his vocals up to notes quite often, which which is what Chris Martin does. Yeah, anyway. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't pick that. I, I, I felt a big sting thing, but I might also be tripping. I don't know. Any of you guys get a sting vibe on this at all? Or no, mm. not really. No, what melts no. up your mind? Do you think yeah. he's gotten over his fear of birds? Very strange so. for a kiwi. Yeah. yeah, maybe sort of you know, there's a mower sort of thing going on, like a big, big, you know, you know, mowers. They went extinct in the 1900s. They were like they were like big ostriches. Mm. Well, I'd be scared of that. I'm scared of magpies. Yeah. Like I've got a bit of a bird yeah, me phobia. Too. Oh. You know, yeah. I, like when you, I go running in the spring. Yeah, me too, man. You Do know. you wear an ice cream container on your head? I should. I should actually. I should start wearing one. But I, I, I run like this when I go under magpie trees. Um, apparently well, I've been working. I've been walking with a um, uh, guitarist from Kylie's band, Gilly, um, throughout lockdown, and it's spring started, and I saw this magpie swooping this guy two hundred meters. And having grown up being attacked by magpies mm. nonstop, I just started shit myself. And Gilly said, "Don't worry, dude. Magpies are my spirit animal." Oh wow! And 
the magpies <laughs> didn't swoop us and it was weird. And then we went and got a coffee and a croissant and he sat, we sat down on this rock and this magpie flew up to him and started like eating his croissant. Like it was just like, what is happening? That's incredible. <laughs> so it's, yeah, I think it's like a spiritual thing with magpies mm. and swooping. Well, That's amazing. I, I heard that um, last year in magpie season, a friend of mine got swooped by a magpie, had to um, go get herself stitched up and at like at the Royal Melbourne and three people had been oh. done by this magpie. By the same magpie? Well, it was on the same loop in the middle of the yeah. city. So anyways. Wow. So Apparently magpies um, recognise people and recognise faces. So if they know you, wow. then they don't swoop you. Interesting. Yeah. Well, maybe, I mean... I mean, that's what we need lockdowns for, like, so we can get deep into this sort of stuff. Like, what's what's birds? Ornithology? Ornithology sort of. Ornithology, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, my mum used to make us walk to school with the ice cream container on our heads where she drew with permanent marker. Yeah, the eyes on the back. Eyeballs yeah. on the top of yep. the. Yeah. Yeah. We had that on our bike helmets. Well, I mean, I think. Yeah. Australia. Australia. I mean. <laughs> I think and then you, know, you can so get the flag that was on the back of your bike and just rip it off and start like swinging it around in the air. Look, I think sometimes, yeah. you know, albums sometimes throw up more questions than answers and I feel like <laughs> we've got one right here. I feel like we've gone there. We, we, we've we gone didn't there. quite get there and then we did. Um, well, Maybe his for- fear of birds is not irrational. I mean, really, they're terrifying. Yeah. Has anybody seen a baby pigeon? I haven't. No, are they scary looking? Well, have you seen one? No. no. Me neither. Have you? Oh, right. That is <laughs> terrifying. Has anybody seen one? That's right. what I'm getting at. Yeah, right. Okay, wow. where, where do they come from? Where do birds come from? Wow. Um, well, yeah. on the, well, on that note, I guess um, there's, yeah, a lot, I there's, a lot, there's a lot to take away um, from this week's podcast. Well, are birds, are birds um, the, there's the most types of birds in New Zealand, I think. Like they've only got birds, don't they? Yeah, they've got a lot of birds. I think like that they, they, they are. There's no other native animals. It's just birds in New Zealand. Wow. Okay. Kiwis. Yeah. I think in Origins, not Origins of Species. That one that Tim Flannery wrote. The one it talks about the anyway. Sorry, Eric. Back to you. Well, look. You know, we might leave. We might leave it there um, with some questions to the audience about um, where do baby pigeons come from? What you know. Um, <laughs> Do magpies, um, you know, single people out based on, you know, past interactions? Yeah. Um, uh, should people make albums? Oh, we lost Chelsea. Um, should, people, should people be making albums, EPs or singles? Mm. Um, there's, a lot, there's a lot there. So, a lot to get into. So I guess just to kind of, you know, wrap a bow around it, Chelsea Wilson... Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been an well, absolute Ari, pleasure. Before, before you say that, I reckon we should rate the album first. I think that's always a good idea <laughs> to rate the album that we review. So that should be part of like any sort of like process we have when you when you look at the run sheet. Like it should just go I should have looked review at, I album, should have looked at the running then rate album, and then say goodbye to the guests. I should have looked at the the the, um, the running sheet. So uh, look, I'll go first. Um, Three point five for me. Um, three point five green bins. Yeah, I think that's pretty good, actually. I, I reckon I'm, I'm going to be around the same. I think I'm going to go for three point five as well. Lovely green bins, and uh, yeah, no birds getting into the green bins. Chelsea, I'll match that three point five. 
Yeah. All right, so we're at 3.5 across the board for Jordan Rakai's record, uh, What We what Call we... Life. So, sorry for the... Now you can do it, Eric. So for the false start. <laughs> Chelsea Wilson, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Um, on a, you know, on a, on a Sunday where we just, you know, we keep on keeping on. We look to the future. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it was an absolute pleasure to... To talk music and go there with you. Um, as a as a final thing, is there anything that we should be kind of you know keeping our eyes open for coming up? Uh, any any new releases sort of in the, on the, on the horizon? New projects and a new episode for the pod. Um, what 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 should we look forward to? And and if there isn't, that's also fine. So um, <laughs> is anything if there any if, if there's Anything we should be looking forward to uh, in, in, in the coming months, please, please share. Because this is our peak audience well, thank now. You. This is, yeah. This is, this is yeah, the people that have tuned in <laughs> and, and have clocked to two and a half hours. They're the real deal. They will go and click through. So, <laughs> I, I love all those people that are still here with us. You're amazing. Um, thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely to see both of your faces and thanks for inviting me into your podcast world. I feel like I've learned a lot, um, especially about green bins and whatever that Matic thing was. That's, yep, yep. that's a take-home that message. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, please do check out the Control podcast for some Enlightening conversations, I will say, with some incredibly diverse guests. Um, and in terms of live shows, according to Dan Andrews, we are opening up and going to be heading back out. And so in November, I'll be back on stage with Women of Soul if all Ooh, things yeah. go well. So keep your eyes and ears on the socials for announcements about those things. Amazing, thank you, Chelsea and Waza. As always, thank you for uh, for holding it down. When well, Arik, you know I'm uh, I'm in the middle of COVID testing at the moment. You are so, in the middle you know, of COVID I, testing. I was not oh, at you know mm-hmm. you know hundred percent tonight, but I, I I tried my best. Look, Waza, you were great, and you're always great, <laughs> and we love you. And um, it's been an absolute thrill, and we wish you nothing but good fortune on your COVID results tomorrow. Um, and uh, I'm sure everything's going to be A-OK. This has been... I've got a a career as a tastemaker in the offing, so I'm sure everything will be fine, and um, I'm on my way. Influencer. Influencer and tastemaker. You're a taste influencer. So, Waza, (laughs) it's been an absolute thrill to be with you as a taste influencer. This has been the All Music Is Good podcast. We'll see you next time. Mm.